Hello and welcome to Daddy Issues, the only podcast on the internet that I've been able to find where two grown-ass men dissect father and son relationships in popular culture and why it's okay to cry about them. My name is David Bryan and I'm doing the intro this week, which means that I now have the pleasure of introducing the fabulous, most groovy, Dominic Archer. Oh, please, please, ladies and gentlemen, please, it's not necessary. All of these applause, these roses that are being thrown at my feet, it's no. It's no. Oh, shucks, shucks. Hello, hello, Dave. That was very good. Thanks. So, what's up? Um, well, in interesting news, last night was the first night that one of the dogs chose to sleep with me over sleeping with my parents. And um, that was an, an interesting experience in which the dog took up half, well, more than half the bed. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. But no, it, it was cool. It was comfortable. And uh, yeah, my bed sheets smell like dog fat, but it was worth it. Definitely worth it. I'm glad. Now you're having a doggy issues moment. <laughs> yeah. Hello and welcome to doggy issues. Dom is now on board. Yes. It's not just me. Oh, we'll, we'll get it off the ground. Cool. Well, um, so Dom, why am I doing the intro this week? Well, because this is your episode, really. This is the episode, episode. This is the episode that you have wanted to do since we very first floated the idea of daddy issues. You were like, I want to talk about real steel. I want to do it. It's all I want to talk about all day, all night. Real steel for life, you messaged me, I think, with the number four. <laughs> I think I was just talking about how many sequels I wish there was. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, yeah, you're absolutely right. I do recall this being part of our, before the idea of a podcast ever came to us, just talking mm-hmm. about why do well, films that make us cry. And this one, it surprised me. I remember the first time I saw this that I cried at the end. I was like, yeah. why? This is, is this not just ostensibly a film about robots boxing each other? Yeah, and we're here sm- today to talk about why it's not just about robots boxing each other. And um, yeah, I've, I'm excited. Yeah, I think this movie was kind of on the list for another podcast idea I had a couple of years ago, which I think I was just I wanted to call it something like six out of ten. And the whole point was to discuss movies that have kind of been forgotten because they're not great. They're not shit. They're just like movies that are produced because there is a movie industry. Right. And actors need to act and, you know, cinematographers need to cinematography. And, you know, people need to, to work and make money. And so they'd make movies like uh, Real Steel or The Book of Eli was my prime example, right? The Book of yeah. Eli is the perfect 6 out of 10 movie where you see it and then you forgot you ever saw it. And then you see it like at, at CEX or a DVD. <laughs> and you're like, oh, yeah, that movie was fine. I wonder if I can get it for free. And that's, yeah, that's generally how I feel about about these kinds of movies so it's like yeah it's fine it's a movie that was made because you know they make movies um but real steel has some heart to it it does yeah i think it has has some real heart and uh hopefully we can we can get into get into why it it works on on that level Mm. um and yeah it doesn't suck which is it's a bonus it's a bonus yeah yeah i know the, the last thing we spoke about that i really wanted to talk about was uh, Man of Steel, yes. Zack Snyder's Man of Steel, and we talked about Jonathan Kent and Jor-El, yes. and how, and that, without really thinking about it, that film really affected me and made me cry every time Jonathan Kent dies in the tornado, and you <laughs> managed to very succinctly and effectively break down how 
it was not worth my tears <laughs> and uh, when we were talking about leading the, up to this recording you did message me to say i feel a jonathan kent moment coming on yeah and... i'm gonna savagely like like zeus the robot villain from this movie yeah uh, i am going to come in and and in one round destroy your your love for this yeah. film like tak mishido says what Zeus sees, he kills. An eyesore that's, that's or like, steel. <laughs> yeah. No, Dom, Dom saw my vulnerability and, and locked on. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's get into it. and then Let's uh, get yeah. into it. Yeah, we, then yeah. we can tear it apart if necessary. Okay, sure. Um, well, what better place to start, I suppose, than the beginning? Great place to start. And uh, I wanted to bring up something about Charlie. Charlie is our protagonist, played by Hugh Jackman. He looks and good in this in this movie. He looks he's so great. And the, watching this film really reminded me of how it just I think he's a very good actor but just as a movie star, as a yeah. leading man, he's just like he thinks he's one of the best of his generation. Mm-hmm. Like he's just so watchable and can do all kinds all kinds of things. Yeah. And also he's big. Like he's the yeah, size it, of him. Everything about his performance in this movie, you can tell that he's peak Wolverine at this point. Yeah. Right, he hasn't started to get old yet, where they need to kind of like put some grey in his hair to show that you know, in like Days of Future Past, to show he's like an older Wolverine, yeah. or you know, he's not a Logan. He's not Logan yet. How old is he in this movie? Late thirties, early forties. I I'm guess. about to look that up. Yes, um, I'm not exactly sure, but I mean, he looks. I'm gonna guess. I reckon he looks around. He might have breached forty at this point. Yeah, probably has. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say he's in his forties. Yeah. Um, but he is if, in just perfect physical condition. He's which in is, great shape, and actually, yeah. yeah, I'm interested to see where this falls in the X Men chronology. Oh, um, just after and whether he would have been Wolverine Origins. I would guess. Is it okay? So he's born in '68, and this came out in 2011. So that make him 43. So uh, yeah, 43. So yeah, he was in into his forties. Um, so 2011, Real Steel, he had just... Oh, X-Men First Class came out the same year, which obviously he wasn't really in, apart yeah. from that one awesome cameo. Yes. Which, um, oh, damn it, I had some... No, let's not go on a tangent about, about <laughs> X-Men First Class and that 10-second clip where Hugh Jackman shows up and says, go fuck yourself. Um, okay, fuck it. So that's... Here we go. This is why up. I leave the episodes, people. <laughs> this will be sure, I promise. So he, um, uh, they wanted Hugh Jackman to do that little cameo and he was up for it. And that was supposed to be like a Hugh Jackman shows up, gets his hair and makeup done, spends half an hour, does his line, and off they go. See you later, see you later, champs. Have a good shoot. And he goes off. Is that your James McAvoy impression? <laughs> More or less. Yeah, they're <laughs> yeah. all the same. Um, and the line was supposed to be "fuck off." And they tried it over and over again, and it just didn't sound right. So, and on take number whatever, Hugh decides to change it up and just goes, "Go fuck yourself." And after cut, they're like, that's it. That's the one. Cut, print, we're done. That's a wrap for Hugh Jackman. Off he goes. Um, so, yes. Off he goes. He was, yeah, robots. kind of in between. Yeah, X-Men Origins Wolverine was 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, that little cameo in X-Men First Class. Then he does Real Steel. And Les Mis and The Wolverine, the ones set in Japan, come yeah, out a year right. or two after. So he has doesn't really have any time to... Christian Bale getting skinny down or get fat. He's got he's got probably got to stay in that shape, especially at his age. It's mm-hmm. probably harder to build up and down. But um, so yeah, we we get our introduction to Charlie, and 
our introduction to him besides like him driving his big old truck and that really nice um sort of folky american folky song playing in the background which um by alexi murdoch Mm-hmm. And it was one of the first things I did when I first saw this film was go and download that song. I was like, oh, I love that song. It's a great um, opening song. I actually noticed that opening song as well, yeah. listening to it this time. It's and, lovely. And it, yeah. it really sets that scene of like American, mm-hmm. uh, middle America, prairie lands, f- just flat. Yeah. And there's like, there's like a sunset and it's just almost like a, a almost like a Western kind of thing, modern Western kind of mm-hmm. vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, so he arrives where he's going, and there's a something that I thought was weird actually, where he he wakes up the the morning after he sort of arrived where he's going. And he sleeps in his truck, and there are beer bottles scattered every scattered everywhere when he wakes up when his phone goes off to wake him up. And that's kind of the thing you do when you're introducing a character that makes you think, oh, he must be a bit of a drinker. Yeah, because it's not just like he's got he's had one like there are three or four empty bottles of Bud, and he's got one on him still unfinished, mm-hmm. but that's the only time he drinks in the entire movie like that's not a character moment that continues and i thought that was strange like why would they pop that in there when they're trying to introduce our protagonist and then never pay it off later on yeah i think i kind of picked up on that as well because what i thought about that moment was how is he in such perfect physical shape if he's got (laughs) just surrounded by empty beer bottles slumped in the back of his truck um was one of the things that, that popped out to me in that moment. But I think, yeah, it's not necessarily highlighting that he's like a heavy drinker, but more that he's just like an irresponsible slob, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know what rating this movie has. I'm going to guess in the UK it's probably a, a 12. Or, I think it's a 12A, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think this was their one opportunity to cash in on that sweet, sweet Budweiser money <laughs> by getting in that product placement and also establishing the character as a bit of a layabout. You know, he wakes up, the kids are talking to him but to refresh his palate. He has a, like a morning swig of Budweiser to, you know, to get himself on his way. Um, and yeah, it's not like not necessarily that he's like an alcoholic, but more he's just like, uh, he's washed up. He's washed up, man. He's not, he's not together like he used to be, even though he's in perfect shape. Like yeah, perfect it's, it's, physical condition. Yeah, it's one of those weird contradictions that kind of exists within this movie. You yeah. kind of want the character to be played by like modern Russell Crowe, right? Where there was a man who used to be in gladiator shape and now he's like ballooned a little bit. You know, yeah, he's yeah. like he's lost you know, he's just gotten older and he doesn't have to be in gladiator shape and you know. Sure. Um yeah, and but instead he's just yeah peak Wolverine Hugh Jackman. You know he's he's <laughs> yeah. it's almost difficult to believe that he is the slob he's supposed to be, because he's Hugh Jackman and uh, yeah he, you know. maybe that's why that's yeah the beer bottle thing doesn't really yeah. play yeah because he still looks like he does and I know that he obviously used to be a boxer and we mm-hmm. get little snippets of that later but then how and he does tell Max that story of how. Um, how human boxing kind of died and robot boxing took over but then how long was that period yeah how long has it been since he was a boxer and how yeah. long has he been sort of you know lumping around robots and instead yeah so yeah that that is interesting but then they do they do they cram so much character introduction in that that few seconds where he sat on the edge of the bed we've seen the beer bottles phone rings um someone asking him for money and he, he and Charlie doesn't even really know which of the people who he owes money to is he's on the yes. phone and he's 
drops the call intentionally so we, again we get that sense that he's irresponsible and owes money to lots of people and he's not uh what's the word forthcoming <laughs> with those debts and then he tries to like uh you know um, when he gets his robot out tries to sort of graft these like three little girls out of five dollars for a photo with his robot yeah um so yeah we, we're not getting a a heroic character no, and then when the Probably girls not. say they won't pay for the photo, he tries to haggle them down. He haggles them right? down, yeah. Four fifty. Yeah, yeah, and it's like he's desperate. He's a desperate. Yeah, he'll take, uh, yeah. yeah, which is weird. Like he, like he's so desperate, he'll haggle over five dollars. But then mm. he rocks up to this event where his his robot is going to fight a bull. Yes. Which I had a few ethical issues with. That was I something I yeah, this something I want, yeah, this is something <laughs> I wanted to bring up as well. Like the yeah. rampant and acceptable animal cruelty within this yeah. movie which is a robot punching a cow and we're supposed to be like <laughs> yeah punch that cow <laughs> yeah so it was so uh well because I, I actually it's texas isn't it where he is i yeah. said it was like middle america but i think he's it's texas at least judging by the um kevin duran's uh sort of ringmaster mm-hmm. character yeah. uh, oh, we'll, very we'll texan i think there are we'll lone star flags that. around yeah. Sorry. We'll come back to that character. I've got things yeah. to say. Yeah. Got things to say. But um, yeah, so he haggles over five dollars, and then when he rocks up to do this gig, um, I think he's the guy goes three grand up front, and he's like, "Tell you what," and they put up a bet that if he his robot wins against the bull, twenty grand, mm-hmm. like winner takes all, and this is the first um, instance we get of Charlie turning down a good payday for a bet. That where he could potentially win so much more, and this his overconfidence and his brashness ends up, ends up stinging him in the ass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was it you wanted to say about um, our our ringmaster? Oh well, so, he's kind of our principal villain, I guess. In the movie, is this um, uh, Texan, as you say, kind of show ringmaster show showman, um, who's willing to you know you know put money up in terms of a bet and um it's just against uh against Hugh Jackman the whole way through the movie um but I think one of the problem this movie one of the problems this movie has is in terms of its antagonists um and then the characters that it looks favorably on because the and this guy as the antagonist this texan cowboy villain who is horrible to hugh jackman actually doesn't really do anything wrong the entire movie right and it's the same with the with the character we'll get onto later on with max's uncle who i really want to talk about later on um but hugh jackman makes a bet with this texan guy and says you know um 20 grand or nothing basically right like if you win you give me 20 grand if my robot punches your cow into oblivion then you know you you give me 20 grand and then when hugh jackman loses he just skedaddles out of there on his debt and the texans guy's like hugh jackman you know like uh, i'll i'll get you one of these days and then when he comes back into the movie later on and acts as like a, a a loan shark you know collecting his debt um, we're supposed to be like, oh, that guy's a real bastard. But he's not, right? They made think? a bet. They made a bet and he's there. Yeah. But, but the, the, the villainous thing is that he enjoys beating up Hugh Jackman. 
Right? And he says, oh, I punched you before, Hugh Jackman, and I'll punch you again. Like yeah, because like, they have history. Like they were, they were yeah. both boxers before, and yeah. they fought each other in the past. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, it's like, okay, so the reason we're supposed to hate this guy is because Hugh Jackman stole $20,000 from him, and then he came back and was like, I want my money, bitch. It's like... You know, really, it's, I see. I don't. I don't get that from it. See, though. and this continues for me later on towards this okay. character's arc to the end of the film, right? Because right. at the end of the film, without wanting to jump, you know, this is just a, a, the character arc of the Texan guy. Yeah. So at the, at the end of the film, we get the climactic battle um, mm. that we will obviously get into later on. Um, but the Texan guy comes forward to Anthony Mackie's character, right? So the Texan guy is. Um, uh, a rural uh, a rural showman um who does money on bets and he's the bad guy but anthony mackie's character who is the urban showmaster is a good guy even though he still he, because he likes hugh jackman right he won't lend money to hugh jackman and he, he hugh jackman loses because of anthony mackie but because anthony mackie's nice to hugh jackman he's the good guy Right. Whereas the rural guy who doesn't like Hugh Jackman is the bad guy solely because he doesn't like Hugh Jackman. Right. The only difference between Anthony Mackie and the Texan guy is that one of them likes Hugh Jackman and the other one doesn't. And depending upon how they feel about Hugh Jackman, they're either the hero or the villain. Right. And at the end of the movie, the, the villain, the Texan guy, makes a bet with Anthony Mackie and says, if uh, if Hugh Jackman loses uh you've got to give me a hundred thousand dollars they do like a hundred thousand dollar bet right he's so confident that hugh jackman's gonna lose but oh it's it's not so obvious he makes it through the first round doesn't he and then um the rural guy gets his comeuppance when anthony mackie and his like his group heavies his his heavies (laughs) yeah his group like they appear to take him away and beat the crap out of him for not having a hundred grand and so, actually, Anthony Mackie, the good guy, is exactly the same morality as the rural Texan guy who's about to go and get the crap beaten out of him. But we're supposed to feel like, yeah, that Texas guy's getting what he deserves. And I'll tell you what that is, David. I'll tell you what that <laughs> is. That is Hollywood urban bias that says that the cowboy guy in Texas is like the bad guy who's all up for animal cruelty and beating the shit out of a cow. But Anthony Mackie, with this, like, uh, underground uh, or eight-mile-esque robot fighting, (laughs) like, he's the good guy in this because he's friendly to Hugh Jackman, even though they're both exactly the same character. And that really stood out to me as being, like, why why are we supposed to like one of these characters and dislike the other one? Even though they're in the same business, they have the same morality of beating people up if they don't have the money. Why are we supposed to like them? And it's because, well, one of them is Anthony Mackie, and he's likeable, and he's a great actor, and, you know, and the other guy is the smarmy Texas cowboy, right? And that's their defining characteristics in this movie. One of them is Anthony Mackie, and we love Anthony Mackie because he's great in everything. Yeah, when is he, when is he ever not a lovable yeah. character, or yeah, he's he, on the right side of morality? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and he always is. And the other guy is, like, uh, a, a farmer, basically, and it's easier to hate and uh, to for the movie to frame the Texas guy in a bad light than it is Anthony Mackie because you've got Anthony Mackie and he's the best. 
Yeah, he's so. great. That, yeah, that's that was a great point that hadn't occurred to me, and um, yeah, I hadn't thought about the film in terms of antagonists um, mm. and protagonists because, um, and the only like um, part, the only part of what you've said that I don't agree with is when when Texan guy shows up um, to he tracks down Charlie and wants to get his money back, and Charlie gets a shit kicked out of him. Yeah, I didn't see that as like the bad guy getting one up on the good guy i saw that as well charlie had it coming like yes yes yeah yeah yeah. and as we like as we said at the beginning like charlie is not introduced as a heroic good Mm -hmm. character so when he does um make bad bets and lose and then do a runner when he when the people he's wronged catch up with him later i don't feel like i wasn't like oh no no see see, that moment this yeah, yeah in that moment it's it's the. It's not that Charlie, because um, Charlie, as you're right, Charlie gets what he deserves, which is kind of what I'm saying yeah. about this. This Texas guy isn't really a bad guy because he's just getting his money back. But it's when they attack Charlie, he's with his son, with his like 11 year old yeah. son, right? And he's a villain because it's like not in front of the kid. You wouldn't do this in front of the kid, and then they take the kid's money, even though they're like, "Oh, that's not my money; it's his. Money. It's your money, Hugh Jackman. It's pocket money. Like, that's not, yeah. you know." But... Maybe that's like this is there's a there's a complication here. Maybe this is a grey area where, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. The um, I wish I knew the guy's fucking name, Kevin Durand, the blob from X Men Origins Wolverine. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh, of course he is. Yeah. 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 Uh, his his uh, his motivation is not unjust. But they have to remind us that we should be rooting for Charlie and Max yeah. by yeah. not. He's not just a guy who comes up and goes, "Yo, Hugh, man, you kind of owe me some money. Do you mind if yeah. you go like to an ATM or whatever, or and get me the cash?" They make him a violent, braggadocious, mm-hmm. and yeah, um, morally abhorrent person by yeah being enjoying beating the crap out of somebody, doing it in front of a kid, taking a kid's money, and at the beginning setting up a fight which actually Charlie goes into willingly against an animal a robot versus yeah. an animal so yeah. we're constantly getting these these strokes of this is not the kind of person we should like um, so when it comes to that big come up uh, or Charlie's comeuppance um, yeah I, I don't see that as like an antagonistic moment I think it's just as, as good t- it's just good timing storytelling wise mm-hmm. because as far as Charlie's arc and his relationship with Max is concerned it's been getting better and better and better and better and you know they've flown too close to the sun and yeah. it has to come to an end and Texan guy is there just to bring him back down to earth and take his confidence away because when Charlie's lacking in confidence that's when he makes terrible decisions like he does in that moment where he goes this has been great but because something's kicked me in the ass I'm just going to fuck this up yeah. by it's the end of, two. end of act 2 end of act 2 exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. so it's it's like it's, it's just timing i felt but no, I, I, did, I do take your point about the Hollywood bias about two guys essentially in the same business. One of them we're not supposed to like because he's white and he's from the South yes, and he goes yeah. yee and yeah. one of them's Anthony Mackie. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, and, yeah, I think like it's, I mean, it's Anthony Mackie. I, I, I've never seen him in a, in a villainous role, I don't think. And I don't, uh, think, I, I don't no. think I'd want to. But I, I think, yeah, what, what you're saying is, is really true. And I think that kind of rural thing that we're discussing also charts the course of Charlie's career from being out in the sticks with a bunch of scumbags and being a scumbag himself. But then by the end, he's in the city in a giant stadium, 
right? And the the closer he gets to the city, the purer his life and his experience. And we can see that with yeah. um, Evangeline Lilly's character as well, who seems yeah. to live in the fire station from Ghostbusters. Um, I'm, I'm <laughs> but it not... has a boxing ring in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's that same idea, right? Where she <laughs> she lives in the city, she stays in the city in this boxing gym, and then he leaves the city to go out into the country and do all of this, you know, unsanctioned, possibly illegal robot fighting because it's not part of the league. And it's like for these violent hicks in the country that don't have anything better to do. But it's bizarre because as we're saying with the idea of the robots and robot boxing, the idea was that robot boxing has replaced real boxing. But it's not like, mm. oh, you leave New York City and then you drive out into, you know, down to Texas and there's just like bare knuckle brawls happening in the middle of the, just the you know, hicks throwing their money or something. Um, it's like, what are they trying to say that these people, what does this replace for the people in the country? Right. What what are they there to watch that was, you know, that was entertainment before and like the closest I can think of in terms of like the animal cruelty is the, those various like animal like livestock events. But that's not a fair comparison for rural people in America, because those people who grow animals in the, those farming community love their animals. Right. They go to these big events to show how much they do love and care like that. You have the various uh, um, I was going to say bullfighting, but that's not even, you know, Texas style stuff. They do like rodeo. rodeo yeah, clowns. rodeo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the idea of rodeo isn't to like murder the cow in the way that real steel is like, oh, well, get your robot to do an uppercut, you know, and, you know, punch it to the ground. But it's like the closest thing I can think of is it's replacing dog fighting, right? Like this kind of like violent, but it, I don't know, it, it, uh, it just sits with me a bit uncomfortably in terms of what it's saying about these people that, you know, that are thirsting for violence out there in the country, sure. the countryside. But it doesn't start only in the country though, is it? Because after, after Charlie gets Noisy Boy, they go to Crash Palace, which is an yes. underground yeah, which is Anthony ro- robot boxing place, which is yeah. very, very, um, what's the opposite of rural? You know, it's a very city, very metropolitan, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. In, in, yeah. It is in the underground. It's, we go uh, from, yeah, it's supposed to be the streets place. Yeah, it feels right? like, like a big in, warehouse or something. Yeah, it feels yeah. like you're in Oakland or, yeah, or somewhere yeah. like that, as opposed to, yeah, before so it's it, i don't think it's it's like a rural america versus city america i think it's more just like a lower class thing mm-hmm. yeah, so what, yeah 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 so it's all all kind of poor people use this as their entertainment mm-hmm. and then the higher you go up you go through this glass ceiling of the the robot league and all of a sudden it's huge arenas stadiums rich people sat in the chairs and the yeah, yeah. executive boxes and stuff um so yeah <laughs> I think I think we should get if you, on. If you have anything more to go, no, I think we should get go on. on to the father and son relationship. We probably should. Yeah, this is yeah. what this is all about. Hi, yeah. welcome to Daddy Issues. Uh, it's been about I don't know half an hour, and we haven't really got into this much. Oh yeah, there's um, a son. There's a yeah, son there is, in this. There yeah, is a son. A son yeah, in this, in this one. Um, so let's talk. Yeah, so we'll, let's talk about Max. Max is um, Charlie's eleven-year-old son, mm-hmm. who, as far as we can tell, he's never met before. Um, Charlie was with Max's mum and then um, before or after Max was born, Charlie legged it. Just kind of like 
as seems to be um, appropriate for his character, things get tough for it, and he just he cheeses it. He's gone, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it's right after he he loses that bet in Texas. Um, so a couple of a couple of stooges come up to him, and <laughs> Charlie's first reaction is pow, smacks him around right the yeah, chops, yeah. and it turns out they're not there to collect money from him. They're here to say the this woman I can't remember her name that sounds terrible but then interesting not interestingly but I think the reason I can't remember the name of Max's mum Charlie's ex is that they barely mention her no she's mentioned like she twice me- she's mentioned there she's when she's dead then, and then and right near the end yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so Max's mum has died Charlie needs to either well there's a custody issue now mm-hmm. and um, Max's aunt um, his mum's sister wants to adopt Max for herself for her and her husband who are quite wealthy and but then when Charlie finds this out, he has no interest in taking Max on himself. Mm-hmm. He's like he like drives up to the courthouse and just bursts in to go. Where do I sign? I just want to sign him off, and then I'm gonna I'm, I'm out. He just has no interest whatsoever, and it's not until he gets a sense of who Deborah, Max's aunt, and her husband is, who I know you want to talk about, mm-hmm. that he um, sees a mark. Gets a, he gets a, gl- a glance at um, I can't remember the guy's name, the, but uh, Deborah. Deborah's husband's yes. What what a tongue twister. <laughs> uh, Deb Deborah's husband's Marvin? watch. Marvin. Let's Marvin. let's call him Marvin. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And Charlie's like, huh? They have money. How can I spin this to my advantage? Yeah. This is a chance for him to pay off his debts, and more importantly, to buy the new robot because his old robot just got gutted by a, a by a bolt, <laughs> yeah. and he he needs to R. buy R. a new ambush. one. Yeah, yeah. So this is, um, yeah, this is Hugh Jackman's chance to to pick up another, to pick up the new robot that he needs, and you know solve a couple of problems all at the same time. So yeah, he approaches Marvin, the rich, the rich uncle of uh, of Max, who's you know his son, and says, "I'll sign him over to you because I know your, I know that your uh, your wife desperately wants this custody." And I'll sign him over for a hundred thousand dollars, basically. Like fit, uh, fit, he says, um, you know, you want to go on your holiday to Tuscany or something like that. So you give me fifty thousand dollars. You go on holiday and just bone for the summer. Then when you come back, you give me another fifty thousand. I'll give you the kid, and I'll take care of him for like six weeks, something like that. Um, yeah, over, whatever I, it is over the summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, you give me a hundred grand. The kid's yours in September sort of thing um and this again is another one of those moments of characters of equal morality to hugh jackman who by the end of the movie we're supposed to think oh god they're just scum and this is another case of marvin for me i think for me marvin and and the cowboy guy these are the i guess we've got yeah uh Rural guy and super urban metropolitan rich man. Um, so maybe yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit off in my, my earlier analysis. But Marvin, <laughs> it, Marvin agrees to buy Max from his dad, basically. They're, like, they're talking about, you know, as Max says later on, you sold me, right? You, you, you sold me? Yeah. And Hugh Jackman's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, yes, yeah, yes, I did. Yeah, yes, I did. And I have, I have no, no, no quarrels about it. But... Marvin agrees to it because he wants to he wants what's best for his wife and he realizes this is the only way that they're going to be able to look after Max 
right? The reason that what he does is morally dubious is because he wants to go on holiday first, right? The thing that makes him like a dodgy guy isn't that he's willing to pay for Max because the scumbag is Hugh Jackman who's willing to sell his son, right? Marvin knows this is the only way to, you know, to get through a lengthy court battle. What makes him scum is that he wants to go on holiday to Italy first before he has all the responsibilities of a child, right? Yeah. Then later on in the movie, they come back from holiday and Marvin's like, here's your other $50,000, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman's like, I don't want your money. And we look at Marvin like, oh, you scumbag, Marvin. You were going to give him money for his son, weren't you? As if Marvin is now somehow the bad guy in this relationship. And it's like the way that Hugh Jackman talks to Marvin is like, I can't believe you were going to pay me for my son. So you're the one who made him do it, Hugh Jackman. You don't get to be morally superior in this moment. It's just a weird scene. And I know it's part of his character arc that by the end, you know, he's bonded with his son. They've got a relationship, you know. He's not in it for the money like he was at the beginning. But in the same way that they do with the cowboy, both the cowboy and Marvin are supposed to have become morally worse people because Hugh Jackman has become a better person. We're supposed to think that they are worse because he is now better. And it's like a weird line graph where they're all morally equivalent at the beginning. But because Hugh Jackman becomes better, they become worse. And I think that's kind of a strange... Do you think so? Yeah. Because I could definitely see... I I like the visual image of a line graph. But um, the the thing with like background characters or supporting characters is they don't have... They're not often given an arc. They're mm-hmm. often their morality and their journeys just stays the same. They plateau throughout the movie. So Marvin, yeah. it doesn't for me. Marvin and Ricky, by the way, Texan guy's name is Ricky. I just yes. Looked it up. Uh, Marvin and Ricky don't change. They don't learn anything, and they are who they are. I think on a level the whole way. So the only thing that changes is, like you say, is Charlie's mm-hmm. arc. So that that line of of morality, if you imagine it ascending, Charlie just starts to become more and more moral. Where these people who are already I'd say Marvin is kind of a middling morality, where and Ricky is is lower. Yeah. That's, at least that's what we're supposed to believe. But they 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 are they're steady. They don't change as far as as far as, far as Marvin is concerned. It's been an hour of a movie, and he left, and now he's back, and nothing. You know, yeah. there's no time yeah, has yeah. gone by. He's just he's just there to do the, his part of the storyline and flop over the money. Like he doesn't know there's been this great character growth between between Charlie and Max. But um, yeah, you're right. I don't know. Yeah, I if think I think you're right. I think those, to, yeah. those supporting characters don't change. They do remain stable. But the way the audience is supposed to view them, I think, changes. I think the, as an audience, we're supposed to think that they are worse than they were initially set out to be. Um, because I think we're supposed to like Marvin less the second time he gives the money over. Right. Well, as an audience, we're supposed to be we're supposed to think, don't you know that they're father and son now? Like, (laughs) Marvin, what are you doing? You can't try and buy him now. But of course, as you're saying, Marvin is the same character. But as an audience, we're supposed to be like, I can't believe this sleazeball would try and give it. But we we did it earlier in the movie and we were fine with it. Right. When he gives the money at the beginning. I think I'm going to respectfully disagree with you. Right, I we're going like, to the judges. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like in both these these key moments where Ricky comes back to beat the shit out of Charlie and Charlie 
uh, yeah, turns down Marvin's money. Yeah. I think in at least okay, per, I can only speak for me personally. In both of those instances, I I look at Charlie unfavorably. Yes. So when yeah. so I'm not I don't see when Ricky beats the shit out of Charlie, I don't think oh Ricky's a right piece of shit. I think <laughs> this is karma, Charlie. Mm-hmm. Like this this these forces exist in life to teach you a lesson and to help you learn and and grow. And then when because it's Charlie who calls Deborah and Marvin early and says, I'm sick of this kid. Come yeah, back from your right. holiday and take him. Yeah, take him. Um, yeah. So he doesn't have any moral high ground. So when he turns Marvin's money down, I don't think, oh, Marvin, you showed up with the money? How dare you? I, yeah. I look at Charlie and go, you have no fucking idea what you're doing. This is clearly a mistake. Mm-hmm. You've you, Your ego is bruised and you're doing something dumb, which seems to be a... A, a feature of your character um so yeah each time something bad happens to charlie i blame charlie i don't blame anybody else yeah yeah i think that's yeah that's probably fair that is it's definitely supposed to be his um his journey i guess which yeah we get straight away when he first meets max as well when max yeah. is we don't get this reveal later on your i your uncle paid me to take you Right, it's like it's straight off the bat. Yeah, but he pulls the, the wad of cash out of his pocket, doesn't yeah, he? And yeah. Max puts it together immediately. Mm-hmm. He was like, "You sold me." That's yeah, yeah smart yeah. kid. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of an interesting choice because normally that would be your end of Act Two moment, right? Where maybe the 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 farmer Ricky, if you were rewriting it to be more of a traditional structure. Um, Ricky confronts Charlie earlier in the movie and Charlie says, I'm just looking after this kid for the summer and in September they're going to give me a hundred grand and when that money comes in, I'll pay off the debt, you know. And then when Ricky comes back in the movie later on and he's beating him up, it's like, is this the kid you were paid to look after over the summer? And, you know, and, and then you would have had that moment where, where Max says, oh, I'm going back, right? I'm going to, with my auntie, I'm yeah. giving up on you. But they don't do that. They don't set up that plot twist moment. They just straight off the bat, that's your mo- I want that money, right? That's, you know, that's it's, a great observation, actually, yeah. Because yeah. that does, that does can, can put the onus and the responsibility straight on Charlie for yes. everything that happens. It yeah. has to be him that causes that moment where he, where he loses Max or no, gives Max up. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, if it was... Yeah, I, I think that was a great a great mm. observation. And, and I'm glad we're talking about the this moment because it's... it's um, I feel like you were able to say something, but... <laughs> That's okay. um, just when Charlie and Max meet, it's very obvious, but mm. the way that they stand so far apart, this is the first meeting and they have quite a formal introduction. He just goes, I'm Charlie, as if Max wouldn't know who he's being dropped off with. Yeah. And But they're stood, I don't know how far, 20 feet apart. Mm-hmm. And it's a very obvious kind of parallel from their physical distance to their personal distance and their you know emotional distance. What was that? Right, sorry, I had a burp and I had to lean away from the mic like Tazon Day. Daddy gas. If anyone gets the Tazon Day reference, I'll ten points to to them. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh. So anyway, so yes, Max gets dropped off with Charlie for the summer. Mm-hmm. Rich, um, Tony Stark's mum from Captain America Civil War and yeah. her husband, <laughs> another Marvel reference in this, uh, piss off and there's Max's, with, with, with Charlie at the, uh, what, that boxing gym where mm-hmm. Evangeline Lilly's character lives and works. And so he gets 50 grand up front and then he immediately 
gets rid of the majority of it. He pays for Noisy Boy. There's yes. his new jazzy ass robot for forty five grand. Yeah, this samurai based voice command fighting yeah, like robot. Top of the line, legendary. Yeah. It's had he yeah. had great a great history in the boxing league, and then for some reason now he's just been sort of farmed out to tours around the world just to do press and whatever yes. and somehow Charlie gets a hold of him um, so they, they get Noisy Boy out of its box and Max starts reading off all these facts about him so we get an idea that Max not only is bright after what he figured out with the money a minute ago he also is into robot boxing yes. and you're like well here's a pretty convenient um, thing yeah. in common that they have yeah yeah, it's like he's really into like the league boxing, right? It's like the official, the big stuff, not like the dirty out in the sticks, you know, like at some country fair or like um, in Anthony Mackie's warehouse or anything like that. He's like, yeah. oh, I love like the main, the main event style thing, you know, with the big lights and the stadiums and, and this kind of thing. So when he yeah. does see Noisy Boy, it's not just like, are we seeing Ambush or whatever the other one, like this tattered, broken, old piece of crap it's like oh my yeah. god this is like this is one that i know this is a real you know yeah this is a real thing um and it's kind of it's max you know but charlie's not used to working with this main event stuff right like he's you know he's a guy built for you know built for the bullfighting not for you know the the corporate stadium stuff so it, yeah. it really is max that's like i know how this works you know like you might know stuff about fighting but i know this this professional world you know this the stadium uh the, the main event stuff um, yeah 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 and that's why i guess where you you start to see this interesting character dynamic between them between max and charlie where they are continuously swapping the role of who is the protagonist and each other's character traits and that's something we kind of see throughout the movie is that they will each chastise each other for the same character traits that the other person is known for. And I don't know if this is because they're father and son and, you know, they, they see things in each other that remind them of themselves and, oh, you know... Or if it's just a weird movie thing. I'm not sure. But we see this... The, once Hugh Jackman gets Noisy Boy, the Japanese voice command fighting robot, the first thing he does is says, I'm going to fight right he doesn't yeah. take the time to learn the robot or to learn its moves or you know like max is the one who realizes that the reason charlie can't use it is because noisy boy is a japanese robot and the voice commands are in japanese and charlie isn't speaking japanese so max yeah. is like oh i know how to speak japanese because i play video games <sighs> listen hollywood that's not how <laughs> video games work okay they're, they're just fine we're just throwing well, it out he does there, say that know? Japanese bootlegs are always better. So, like, what, the, what does that even mean? The inference but... there is that he plays video games in Japanese, as opposed yes. to getting the ones translated into English. For some reason, they uh, play better. I don't I, know. I don't know. I don't. Why? Yeah, but, but fine. We establish Max's fine. character. It's fine. Yeah, it's not as good as the beer bottles because it's the opposite. The show don't tell moment is when he speaks Japanese yeah. and the robot moves. Right. The minute they try and explain yeah. why he knows Japanese, you've lost it. You've lost the strength of that that character moment. Um, yeah. Like it should have been. It should have been like, how do you know what to tell him? And he's like, well, how do you think I know Noisy Boy? Right. Yeah. Like then we, you know, he's yeah. into this international robot boxing stuff, not the the local hick stuff. You know, like he watches the stuff in you know in Japan and 
Somalia and like anywhere that there's robot boxing, you know. <laughs> that famous Somalian robot boxing league. But you, you don't know that it doesn't exist. <laughs> you know? I don't, that's true. It, it might well be. Um, but yeah, so then the first thing that, that Charlie does, that Hugh Jackman does, is go, right, I'm, I'm going to the underground Anthony Mackie's warehouse and we're going to fight, you know, the, the biggest thing that we can fight. Um, because it's Noisy Boy, Noisy Boy's a champion. So they get down there and Anthony Mackie's like, oh, Hugh Jackman, we're good friends, you and I. I'm the good promoter because he likes Hugh Jackman. Remember that from earlier in the conversation. It's a callback. And, <laughs> and um, Max is, says, says to his dad, don't go for the main event fight, right? Go for the, the smaller one, earn some small money, and then once you know how the robot works, then do the main event stuff. But Charlie has that same flaw that you mentioned earlier on, where he has to gamble. He has to go 50 grand or nothing is the bet. I think. Yeah. Right? And he has to go for the big fight and he does and it doesn't go well. So yeah, exactly the same thing happens that happens in the Texas farm mm-hmm. is that it starts kind of well and then Charlie gets a fucking boner for himself and starts like enjoying it too much, getting overconfident and then when the fight really starts to get some momentum and the intricacies of it start to happen it becomes very obvious that he doesn't know what he's doing doesn't know anything about the robot like you says and yeah, again loses and which loses is in, his in motif spe- yeah loses in spectacular fashion yeah like yeah. the noisy boy's head is just smashed into the rafters like Wedged into the ceiling yeah yeah yeah, yeah. which he got for, he gets 400 dollars for it so you know not that's bad. not a complete loss <laughs> yeah yeah not bad but this but it's is... just a matter of hours though isn't it it's like he spends 45 grand on a robot mm-hmm. and five six hours later he's got the carcass of a smashed up machine and 400 dollars in his pocket yes that's yeah yeah and that's something in like this, this idea of the robots getting their heads smashed off is something I, we'll come back to i think later on but we then see the next big character moment where having lost everything charlie resorts to being a scumbag and breaks into a a what is it like a is this like a scrap, scrap yard? but before we get onto that do you mind if I just we just go back quickly to Crash Palace? Yeah, because there is a, um, and I'm glad you you brought it up already about how Charlie and Max call each other out on their behaviour and their personality traits, which they also share, or they come out in themselves yes. later on. Yes. So there's that the, the moment after the Crash uh, Palace fight um, with that robot who looks. Uh, there's so many Rocky nods in this film. Yeah. I'm sure you, you're you're more of a Rocky aficionado than I am, but they're everywhere. And like the the robot that um, he fights, uh, that um, Noise Boy fights, has got that sort of clubber Lang mohawk. Yeah. And um, yeah, the whole kind of the whole plot is Rocky with robots. But um, I've 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 called this sequence um, Max Father's Charlie, and it happens a few times in the movie. This is the first instance of Max giving speaking to Charlie as if Max is the father, mm-hmm. and Charlie is the the child or like a teenage boy who yeah, needs to learn some lessons yeah, yeah yeah so max says do you even think about the stuff you do before you do it like it's he's quite right wise right. <laughs> and he's he's already got charlie's number he knows exactly what kind of his problem is like mm-hmm. you say his impulsiveness and 
when and just like Charlie did when he he thinks that uh, Noise Boy doesn't work when he first tries him out because he's trying all these voice commands that don't work and yeah. like you said Max figures out it's in Japanese and immediately he's like he's like it's broken it's shit I've been I've been ripped off I've been it takes no time I've been duped yeah it takes no time to try and figure out what the problem might be he just assumes oh woe is me of course this happens to me it's broken and the same thing that like Noise Boy gets smashed to pieces and he's just like ah. He, I've, I, yeah, like he takes no time to think about the cause of his problems. Mm. Like he just he shrugs off all of his fuck ups as if there's nothing he could he could have done about it. Yeah, you know, he he never is never self reflective. Mm. Never take tries responsibility. Never takes responsibility. He just goes, all right, well that was shit, and he just moves on mm-hmm. to the next thing. And so he's treating not this uh, you know noise boys if it's junk now. Like, like there's nothing he can do. Um, there's no way of uh, learning from that lesson so he doesn't repeat it again. Mm. He's like, ah, it's junk. And then Max says, anything you don't need, you just throw away. Mm. And it's just like, oh, ouch. That's, like, a, again, that's this, a cutting daddy issues moment. It is. Like it's, it is a son, cutting. A son to a dad. Yeah, and I think that this, might, this, this film might be something that sets apart from a lot of the things we talk about is that the, all the lessons need to be learned by the father, not by the son. Mm. And the son is not the protagonist. Like... Mm-hmm they are in most other things like with uh, with the Lion King and with Superman and everything they're the younger of the two males is the one who needs to go on a journey but yes. this is one where where it's it's Charlie but um, yes from that point we do go to the the scrapyard where Charlie has no interest in teaching Max any good moral lessons like don't break and enter <laughs> and <laughs> don't steal shit just because you need it um, but yeah what did you, what did you want to Say about it. Well, yeah, this is this is where we get the the introduction to uh, to Atom, which is Max's Max's new robot, which Charlie yeah. shrugs off. Even he's like, "That's a rubbish robot," even though he doesn't have a robot anymore, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like all he has is a pile of scraps. But he's like, "I don't want this fully completed, almost ready to go robot. I want this box of scraps," which is kind of a bizarre a bizarre thing. But this is also in the scrapyard where we get the first, I think the first improvement in their relationship immediately under which then is immediately undercut yeah because they're they're going through the this uh, the scrapyard and uh max the son falls off a cliff essentially and um is saved uh well gets stuck really on the arm of uh what we later discover to be atom his new robot best friend um, who saves his life but then Charlie Hugh Jackman runs down the, the cliff um, saves his life picks him up and is like you know oh I almost lost you kind of moment and then immediately yeah. says if you want the robot you can fucking do it yourself I'm going back to the truck and then leaves <laughs> yeah, yeah. him to drag this robot and you get that great moment where Max carries the robot all the way back to the truck and then just unleashes like fists of fury like this childhood swinging wide just I'm so frustrated like like you might see with brothers when brothers fight you know this yeah. kind of like impulsive like I can't believe you do this to me kind yeah, it's of. like a child a child's way of saying you know what fuck you yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and that's a, a really uh, a really cool moment um but yeah, then it's when we we uh, we get to meet Atom for the first time, and uh, Atom is like is the real steel robot, really, and it takes a surprisingly long time to get to him as well, considering he's the robot 
on the movie posters. It's like thirty mm. minutes before we before we see him or, or something. Do you say, like yeah, that. You, if this if this film has three act structure, is do you reckon, is this end of act one or is are we already in act two at this point? Yeah, I, it's yeah, it's difficult to say. It's got to be act two because act the end of act one is when Max and Hugh Jackman are together. I think, like it's okay. when, um, yeah. Yeah, it's when they're, they're, you know, that's the beginning of Hugh Jackman's journey, right? Is when he... Yeah, the handover. His... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So therefore, this has got a huge second act. <laughs> this is the Yeah, majority, it's, like... it's almost all second act, this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's where all of the development, well, I guess as it should be in a movie, all, all of the development comes here. Um, but what I wanted to get onto was the way that Max treats Atom to begin with is like, oh, you're my best friend now because you can mimic, you know, he mimics human... Uh, human form and human actions and so Max who is completely alone in the world his mother's died his aunt who clearly loves him has gone off to Tuscany because her husband has manipulated her into leaving him Um, like his aunt wanted to be there but you know Marvin lied to Max's aunt to take away the one person who does love him and go on holiday to Italy which his aunt thought, oh, well, this is what everybody wants, but it's not. And Max knows that, the, you know, that he's been lied to and there's nobody that, that cares for him because Charlie doesn't give a shit, as, as mm. we well know. Whereas the robot mimics Max's own emotions, well, not necessarily his emotions, but his movements. And so Max begins to connect with this hunk of steel um, because there's nobody else around him to connect to, other than maybe Evangeline Lilly, who is the only person in the movie who is consistently nice to him. Um, yeah, yeah, she's throughout. just nice, isn't she? Well, one of the things about this movie is it's about fighting robots and Evangeline Lilly's selection of jean shorts. Yeah, uh, you know, it's like the, that, that moment she where she's not, yeah does why not is she stop wearing, wearing hot pants. Basically, why is she wearing tiny hot pants for the scene where she t- t- tells an eleven-year-old about how great his dad used to be? Yeah. I, I get mean, the feeling this yeah. is um this is some pre me too hashtag me too stuff and there's a couple of pre me too stuff you couldn't get away with now like the first yeah. scene with Hugh Jackman and I think she's called Bailey Bailey right, with, yeah. yeah Evangeline Lilly yeah um when they first see each other he comes home stinking you know he's lost all of his money and the first thing he does in front of her is take his top off and he's like look i'm naked in front of you and then he she's like i'm not interested in you anymore hugh jackman and hugh jackman's like yeah you are leaning over her topless and she's like i'm not winky face and he's like i bet (laughs) you are though and there's this kind of like weird sexual tension where he's not forcing himself but she's quite clearly says five times that she's not interested and he yeah. keeps leaning in topless i think yeah and, that's yeah. one of those things that gets away it, you get it gets away with it because it's hugh jackman yeah like yeah. if you had cast it, if it was another John actor Depp now that would be you couldn't do that right <laughs> no, we don't talk about him at the moment no um or anymore uh but um yeah if you'd say you'd cast like mark Wahlberg or some actor yeah. who can yeah. show yeah. a bit of um, it can stray into that dark place mm-hmm. then it would seem really seedy and, and weird but yeah. because it's Hugh Jackman and even though he's played a lot of serious fierce characters mm-hmm. he just he still comes across as being just nice and you still wouldn't you yeah. wouldn't believe he'd do anything yeah. bad it's to the a Anthony woman Mackie. In, in that situation it's the Anthony Mackie situation again right exactly. like you love Anthony Sometimes Mackie's casting character is so important yeah 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 even though Anthony Mackie's character is still not a great guy because it's Anthony Mackie you love him you know and yeah. yeah i think that's a good piece of casting but 
going back to, to Max and, and Atom the robot, what we see here, and one of the, the bits where we really see their characters going back and forth, is Max gets Atom, cleans him, wipes him down, realises that he can mimic, and, and they go running together and stuff like that. But the first thing Max says is, I want to fight with the robot. And Hugh Jackman is like, you don't fight with the robot. You don't know anything about the robot. You'll take him out there and you'll just get beaten up because you don't know anything about robot fighting. Yeah. Th this robot isn't even a real fighting robot. It's a sparring partner anyway. So all you're doing is setting yourself up to get your new robot demolished. But Max, the son, having just chastised his father for being impulsive and fighting the robot without knowing anything about it or thinking, immediately does the same mistake. He does yeah. exactly the same thing. The only difference is when he does it, he wins. Well, and the difference is that he's actually put some love and care in, and has bonded with his robot in some way. Like he, he dragged him out of the mud on his own, which presumably took all night because by the time he yeah, drags yeah, it back to yeah. the truck, it's daybreak. Yeah. And then he cleans him up and yeah, he sets him up with his like um, shadow boxing mode or Bailey does, mm -hmm. but then Max sort of gets it playing. And then is it before then when they go for that run and Max using the shadow function sort of like makes picks Adam pick him up. Yeah. Is that before yeah. they decide to I go think, for it? Yeah. 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 I think yeah. So at least he takes some time to kind of like look into this robots. I was going to say it's soul, but you know what I mean? Like to connect with the, uh, the other character as a character yeah. and get a sense of what it is and what it can do. Whereas yeah, Charlie is just like, this thing was great once. So there's no reason why it isn't great now. And I don't really have to try very hard and I'll just win. Yeah, I think what what that moment is missing is a chant is a moment where which we get later on, where we we get the montage of Max working really hard on uh on Atom and like programming him with new with new techniques and with you know the voice command and he stays up all night drinking Dr Pepper to you know in, improve <laughs> yeah some more some more great um uh, that wasn't product product placement, by the way. What like Dr. Pepper had nothing to do with it. They just needed to put um have Max drinking loads of something caffeinated. Right. And yeah, Dr. Pepper didn't say yeah and or no, they just did it and got away with it. Maybe not like the Budweiser where it's more like Hugh Jackman drinks Budweiser. You should Yeah, too. yeah. There's a there's a lot of product placement, especially as the the movie goes on, but it's kind of interesting in uh yeah, which we can get onto in a bit. But um I think what what that moment is missing is a chance where Max actually learns how to do something about robot fighting, right? And I, I know that's supposed to be his first fight with Atom. It's where he learns, oh, it's not as easy as I thought that it was. It's not a video game, you know. Like this is the this is the real steel now, you know. <laughs> yeah. But he, uh, we don't get a bit. We get a bit where he emotionally connects with the robot. But we don't get a bit where he actually learns how to fight with the robot. So that then when he goes to do his first fight, he, you know, he actually knows the techniques. Like, I, I didn't get the feeling that Max knew how to do this fight before he was willing to just throw his robot into the ring, you know. And, yeah, he was and, very, he seemed very sure of himself, though. Yeah. And then when we get to the, that, that first fight with, like, the punk guy with the mohawk and the clash Kingpin. shirt. And, yeah, and there's like anarchy symbols everywhere. It's like, yeah, okay, the like... guy who plays um, Kingpin is the screenwriter. Is John he? Gattin's. That's fun. Yeah, that's fun. Um, but when we we get to that moment, Max again makes the mistake of um, the Kingpin, the punk guy with a mohawk, is like, um, "I'll give you a couple of hundred bucks for the fight, win or lose." 
and Max is like, if we win the first round, you're going to give me $1,000. Or if we survive through the first round, right? If he survives yeah. one round, yeah, yeah, with whatever Kingpin's robot is called. I can't oh, there's like a jackhammer or something. He's got a hand that's a, a giant mouth. Frenzy yeah. or some other yeah, kind of yeah. generic robot name. Yeah. But that's exactly the same character mistake that Charlie made. That Max was like, don't do that. Take the early money. And now Charlie says to Max, don't push for more money. Take the, take the easier one. And their character roles have completely reversed. And Max has become Charlie and Charlie has become Max. The only yeah. difference is that Max wins and Charlie loses. And it's... Yeah, it's an interesting... I don't know what you make of, of those moments. No, I, I, I'd, I'd like to say that I like them. Cause it's like uh, Max and Charlie are two sides of the same coin and the mm-hmm. coin just keeps flipping. And yeah, they do keep repeating each other's behaviour but with different outcomes. And I think the only reason the fight in the zoo is, is different is because Charlie is kind of removed from it. And for some reason, whenever Charlie is removed from the crux of a situation, he is smart. <laughs> he, yeah. He like he yeah. watches the fight and he knows what's going to happen. He's giving Max tips. He says he's going to hit you with the thingy, and he hits him with the thingy, and he's like, "Told you, he's going to hit you with the thingy." <laughs> and yeah. And so he has good advice when, and he makes he gives sensible advice when it's not him. So I did find it interesting that whenever he uh, up until uh, sort of this point, whenever Charlie is involved in either a, a gamble or in a fight, he makes all the wrong choices and he just fucks it up. But he can sit, when he's not involved, he can sit back kind of smug from a safe place and say, I can see this coming, why can't you? And then there's that point where they start to kind of work together and Max won't let Charlie take over. He just goes, just just tell me what to do and he'll do it. And yeah, he uses that kind of manual thing remote control yeah. no one can see but i'm doing this kind of i'm trying to act it out and it's it's a good um, it's a good jig yeah it feels like a jig i, th- I think i hurt my back but uh, it was <laughs> worth it <laughs> also shout out to limp biscuit for the uh for a bit of soundtrack there during that first round fight with the atom's first fight at the zoo there's a lot of eminem on this soundtrack as well which again i think is part of the connection to eight mile is this is that why you got it in your head yeah eminem isn't anthony mackie in eight mile as well he is indeed yeah so this movie is is, this movie is kind of rocky meets eight mile meets the terminator it's pretty much a combination (laughs) combination of the three um yeah I, i do think it's kind of a weird lesson to have learned though i wish that there was a moment in that fight where they explain the difference, right? Why is Max able to make the same gambles that Charlie would make, but successfully? And I wish that there, there could have been a moment where Max turns around and goes, because I actually put the work in to this, right? Yeah. Where, where, Charlie, where Charlie's like, how do you know that you're going to survive? You know, you're going to survive this. You know, you, you last night you told me not to do the same thing. And Max is like, because I know my robot, right? Or I, you know, I've I've put the time in. I know what I'm doing. Whereas you've never, you know, you've you've only ever rushed from one thing to another. You've and we don't get that moment that really show that allows Charlie to go. Oh, this is where I've been making my mistakes until later on in the movie where he realizes he's a dad now, 
And yeah, yeah it's from cool. that moment, it's from that moment onwards, really, that fight in the zoo where they do start to bond and get to know one another. And um, that moment with Evangeline Lily where, yeah, she explains to Max, your dad used to be a great boxer. And back when he was a boxer, um, he was the man that he was always meant to be. And that was the man that I loved, was the man who fought in the ring and, you know, had yeah. that same fighting spirit that Atom has, right? Because Atom has that same, the robot has the same kind of um, tenacity that Charlie had when he was a boxer. It's like, it's not about winning. It's about staying in the fight and never, you know, never giving up. The Rocky, yeah. you know, you you say. Yeah, you'll put him on the map, but he'll get back up until he physically can't get up anymore yeah it's just yeah. like that rocky thing where he says it's not about how hard you can hit it's about how hard you can get here and keep moving forward yeah which i think yeah. rocky says in rocky balboa as like advice life advice to his son but yes um yeah i think that i think that was charlie kenton's um mo when he was a boxer because he talks about that f- he just like rocky just like atom will mm-hmm. charlie as a amateur boxer had a chance to fight the number one contender for an actual real belt and was supposed to be kind of just like a punching bag for the number one contender just to get warmed up before the big fight. And as Bailey says, but no one told Charlie that. Mm-hmm. So Charlie goes in and just wails on this number one contender and really gives uh, Nico Tandy the fight of his life. Yeah. And um, Max is, is getting interested in his dad. Wow, did, did Charlie beat Nico Tandy? And then Charlie walks in and just kind of just deflates the whole thing by going, nope, Nico Tandy beat Charlie. He put me on my ass in the 12th round, twice actually second time for good lights out and and then but bailey keeps trying to like big him up be like yeah but you know it was it was you, know, you, you were great you really gave him a chance and he's like well i still lost and yeah, yeah you know my whole career was not a thing 24 and 19 that's not great record but then bailey goes but every one of them was a knockout mm-hmm. so he yeah. either knocked what, what, the guy yeah, out yeah or he went he just kept going and going and going until he got knocked out yeah so yeah there is i was going to bring up later but there I feel that there are analogues between Atom and Charlie and by the end perhaps they kind of become one and the same. Yeah, well they literally become one and the same. Yeah. Yeah, in in that end fight. Yeah. And I yeah, that's again that thing that Max is looking for in the shadow figure of of Atom is Max is looking for someone to give him the love that he's lost with his mother dying, right? And that's why he connects so hard to the robot is because the robot seems to mimic his own affection, even though the robot's not doing anything because it's a robot. Um, Like Max is waiting for somebody to love him, really. And that's what we get to see growing in that second act after that fight in the zoo is Charlie and Max, you know, starting to, to love one another and become yeah, yeah become father and son. Yeah. yeah, I think it's after it's after the zoo fight. I think where then Max like stays up all night working on Atom, yeah. and then um, they listen to music and he starts dancing. And obviously Atom in his shadow mode is copying him, so they're sort of mm-hmm. dancing around. So it's Max not only has someone who seems like you say to mirror his affections by like you know if he goes to hug Atom, Atom goes to hug him back because he's just mirroring him, not mm-hmm. because he actually wants to. But then also he's got someone to spend some time with. Yeah. Charlie doesn't seem to spend any time with him outside of, you know, fights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, he has a dance. But then it's the, I think this must be quite near the middle of the movie where Charlie sees Max dancing and sees and kind of is in, intrigued and impressed by it. And he's like, that's so great. We should do that in the ring. Yeah. People will love it. Like, And 
you know, if you love it, you should do it. And that's when a trade-off occurs, isn't it? Where Max is like, I will dance with Atom if you train Atom in boxing. Yeah. And Charlie's initially reluctant. It's like, ah, I don't box. That's not me anymore, you know, whatever. But they make the deal. And then there's that, I think there's a quite cool scene where Charlie gets up early in the morning and he's got like a, a, a yeah, hoodie on. Yeah, puts his hood up, yeah. Yeah, like Rocky. Yeah. And then he like gets Atom out in the shadow mode and they start doing some boxing moves and sort of programming it. And yeah. Charlie's talking to Atom almost like he's talking to himself. Yeah, yeah, very much that, so. Was, yeah, he's like, yeah. I think he's saying like, uh, there we go, attaboy. It's like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. that looks good. Yeah, nice, you can do yeah, this. Yeah. And then he good sort of does, kind of good thing, technique, yeah. yeah. And then he kind of, swings one punch and he, his shoulder kind of a bit sore he's like oh we're getting old hey buddy or something like yeah, that yeah. and it, it because um, uh, Atom is just mirroring him it is as if he's doing it in front of a mirror mm-hmm. and kind of talking to himself and starting to find a bit of who he is again and you can tell he enjoys it you can yeah. tell he enjoys boxing nothing but you know it's a bit of expression you know, he can express himself in a way he hasn't, probably hasn't done for a long time yeah, I think, yeah, it's through those moments, those shadow moments, where Charlie and Max are able to see each other in a way that they're not able to, like, actually connect with one another. Because when they're together, they have their defences up constantly. Like, if mm. if Max knew that Charlie was watching, he would never have done that shadow dance when no, the music yeah. came up. And Charlie w- woke up early in the morning to box so that Max wouldn't see him box. Right, where, yeah, where there's yeah. no, there's nobody else to see him do it, but within, you know, through their, their, um, yeah, through their experiences with the the mirroring, and their opening up to themselves through Atom, they kind of begin to see each other and 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 understand each other in a way that they couldn't have done if Atom wasn't there. If there was no Atom, then the, they would never have been able to. Even if they if they kept Noisy Boy say the movie had been Noisy Boy the whole way through, they would never have been able to connect in the same way because it would have just been, oh, you know, we're winning fights and we're just telling him what to do and he's programmed with Japanese combinations and stuff. But it's really because Atom is nothing and they build Atom up through them, through themselves, Atom is a combination of the two of them. He's like the, the synthesis of both their personalities. Yeah. And, yeah, because he's he's just a blank canvas. All of the other robots are these like in, ridiculously designed, like Shogun, like uh, Noisy Boy, or like Zeus is this huge dominating monster. Um, whereas Atom is, you know, literally just a blank slate. The only thing it has is two LED lights for eyes, pretty much. Um, you know, and, and that's yeah. it. Then it's just them. You know, it's it's the the Kentons themselves. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. That was that's so great. Like. I love the, how you frame that and how uh, just particularly about how at, uh, Max and, and Charlie open up, but mm. through, through Atom. I hadn't, I hadn't clocked yeah. that. Cause it's not yeah, just that, through that his awesome. success. Like it is through winning that they, they become more confident with themselves. And Max especially is, like, he's confident really in himself the whole way through the movie. But like Charlie begins to, open as he becomes more successful but at the and then when he gets beaten up by ricky the cowboy guy he loses all of that confidence and goes this was a bad idea i'm, I'm sending it like but when he's flying high you know he's he's more open to to his son but it's because yeah they start from nothing and they you know they really they 
build up to the the greatest you know yeah that main event kind of situation um so i guess yeah. really we can we can jump straight onto the the league once they get into the league boxing unless there's anything yeah, else you because from no yeah no you're, you're absolutely right because it's from there from the charlie starting to train atom is where we get our act two montage another yeah. rocky nod yes. where it's just charlie and max getting um getting uh, yeah, getting success with atom um they're winning these these uh, backwater fights they're earning money they're even getting hype on the radio like <laughs> have you heard about this uh robot out on the sticks of some gen 2 sparring bot is yeah. destroying all that come up against him and and max and charlie bond over that they're in the truck and they hit it on themselves on the radio and like oh yeah. damn and we get bailey it. bailey back in the gym listening to it and she's like yeah so proud yeah. of their success and proud of them yeah. on the road yeah yeah everyone everyone's happy everyone's doing well um, and that's when they get invited to for a a league fight. Mm-hmm. Um, after one of their little small town fights, someone comes up and goes, "Hey, yeah, why don't you come to? I think they're in Atlanta or somewhere and and f- fighting a real thing, mm-hmm. which again that two headed uh, robot called Twin Cities. No, this is Detroit. So they're in Detroit. Is it is it Detroit? Yeah, it's Detroit. I think um, the final fight is in Atlanta. I think. But yeah, the, the Twin oh, Cities sure. fight. The Twin Cities fight is in Detroit because it's it the, is in Detroit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, yeah. Before we get on to, well, if you want, is this where you want to crack on from, or you think you want to jump straight to the end? No, no. Well, if you've got something to say, let's do it. Oh yeah, sure. Well, the, yeah, the, the Twin Cities fight has got some interesting moments, especially beforehand, before they fight Twin Cities, um, where uh, they're sort of backstage in an actual arena with actual fans, yeah, paying fans. Um, and uh, Max is working away on Atom, and Charlie sort of pacing backwards and forwards, just telling uh, Max like the important thing is not to freak out, just stay calm, just don't yeah, freak out, be cool, yeah. just stay calm. And it's yeah. clearly Charlie who's like on edge and, and is freaking out. Um, and then they get invited to the the champs suite uh, by the Russian lady whose name I forget, who is the owner of Zeus. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a moment just then where Charlie and Max leave the backstage area to go up to the um, sort of executive suites and Atom is left on his own and Atom looks into a mirror and just stares at himself and they hold that shot for a mm-hmm. good like four or five seconds and I as watching watching that moment I was like I I don't get it and what 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 is that if you do have any insight into what that was for what that's trying to say what does that mean I think one of the main problems that this movie has is trying to determine who is Rocky in this film. Because as we've said before, the the, the, the parables with, with Rocky are constant. But the movie wants us to understand that Hugh Jackman is Rocky because he keeps getting beaten and he gets back up. And Max is Rocky because he won't give up on his dreams. But also, Atom the robot is Rocky because he keeps just getting up, right? Like, he'll be knocked to the ground, but then he'll he'll get back up in the fight. And there's a, a bit, I think, in the, the final fight where they say, it's almost as if this robot has heart, like that. And, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and I think that's, that's one of the, the fundamental problems with the movie is... Atom doesn't have a consciousness of its own. And they, they never suggest that any of the robots are anything more than uh, machines that 
that fight each other, right? Like they're only they don't do things spontaneously. They do exactly what their joysticks tell them to do or what the voice command tells them to do, you know. And because of that, every time they say, get up, Atom, come on, Atom, you can do it, you can get up. It's only it's only about how much this machine can physically take. It's no different to when you're like, oh my god, my computer's so slow. Like, hurry up, computer. You know, like that. Yeah. They, when they tell Atom to get up, he's not going to get up more or less, depending upon what they tell him to do. It's no, only that's because like a human... A human yeah. thing, like in a sporting context, isn't it? Yes. Like I, I keep thinking of um, like horse or dog racing, and people just stand up and cheer, like "Go on, run faster!" It's like yeah, yeah it can't yeah. hear you, or any any kind of sport. Like we go see a football match, and you tell the guy to, you know, do him, dribble around him, or shoot from there. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. there's, not, they can't hear you. It's just this weird thing we have as spectators where <laughs> we have to verbally engage yeah. in what we're what we're watching yeah but i think the one of the flaws in the movie is that it wants us to believe that they are influencing atom and giving atom heart right the heart yeah, to yeah. keep going and if they weren't there then you know then then atom would never be able to do it it's you know the connection between the, the three of them that really does it but the movie doesn't quite go far enough with that Right, we we don't we get like Atom looks in the mirror because the movie wants us to believe that Atom has a heart of its own. Yeah. And so when Atom does get up, it's like, yeah, he did it, even though the odds were against him. Well, Atom's just a machine, and if he gets up, it's and yeah, it's, if the it's, parts are all working the way they yeah, should, then he yeah. should be able to do it. It's no. Yeah. yeah, but that's like again the problem with Noisy Boy gets his head smacked into the roof, as we've said. When Atom goes into this final fight against the unbeatable, undefeatable robot, like, Atom doesn't survive it because he's got heart. He survives it because, for some reason, this piece of shit sparring bot is indestructible. And I don't know why that is, and I think that's part of the problem with the other antagonists that we've we've mentioned but haven't gone on to the the russian the rich russian lady who's kind of dominating the league and um what's his name tack tack machido tack machido the designer of zeus the wunder kid um who designed <laughs> designed zeus and um who you know who disappeared they kind of create this weird backstory for him where he used to design these amazing robots and then he just vanished but now he's back with zeus and what this what this movie is missing is a relationship between tak mashido and max and what it really needs is a moment where Max discovers that Atom, this sparring bot that's been discarded down to the, the bottom of the wastelands, where he discovers that this forgotten machine was one of the original Tak Mashido designs. When Tak Mashido was like 11 years old, this wonder kid like Max was, where he designed this robot that could mimic other fighters and could learn, um, but he gave up on his dream and Atom was discarded and, and thrown away and Takmashido, uh, you know, left. And the only reason he came back was because the rich Russian lady, you know, gave him money and said, I know this isn't your dream anymore, but I'll make you rich if you come back and do it. And so he gave up on his dreams, gave up on his on his principles and came back solely, you know, 
for the same monetary reasons that Charlie fights to begin with. Charlie only fights because he wants the money. He doesn't care about it. But at the end, he's him and Max are fighting with Atom because they have heart, right? Whereas what we need for Tak Mashido is to show that he's given up on robot fighting because it's his dream. He's only in it because the Russian lady's paying him to do it. And Atom should have been Tak Mashido's work of love when he was Max's age and he built this robot and he really cared for it, and but then just abandoned it. And now he's come back and Atom is back. Tak Mashido is so frustrated because he can see in Max what he used to be. This this new wunder kid who does it because he loves it, not because he's sold out. And Zeus should be the creation of a man who has sold out on his dreams. And the purity is this little robot that could, because we see that Takmashido is the atom is the pinnacle of Takmashido's genius, right? This he's he doesn't look flashy. He doesn't look you know like he doesn't have a mohawk or anything like that. He's just a a. A, a, he can take more punches than any other robot because he's a bot with heart and Takmashido lost that and Dom, that it... Dom, you've, Dom you've done it again <laughs> this is the thing that you do where you make a, you improve stories every time we talk about a film you go what he needed was this and <laughs> that if if Real Steel wasn't a 6 out of 10 and was an 8 9 out of 10 that's exactly the kind of Th- uh, three-dimensional character development mm-hmm. you can give to to supporting characters because I, I said it before about how marvin and ricky are just um steady plateaued characters they have mm-hmm. a morality and they never veer from it and takmashido is the same and russian lady is the same anthony mackie is the same they're all the, nothing they're These all nothing they're, exactly they are nothing like they are just as, as cardboard cut out yeah. background yeah. characters yeah. yeah, and yeah. Takmashido, yeah, is that, that yeah, that's brilliant because they do even like you said they even tease the fact that he does have some mysterious backstory. Mm. And that's exactly the kind of thing that would have could have tied the made yeah, made the story more complete. And cuz otherwise he's just a pantomime villain. He's mm-hmm. he's mean because he is. He's yes. he's a bad guy just because he is yeah. and the actor who it, I felt it was weird that the actor who plays him Carl Yoon is a, he's American, Asian American, but he's doing like a Japanese accent, and it's almost a little bit offensive. Like if yeah. he wasn't Asian, yeah. that's a kind of voice that you know, like Sean Connery dressed as a Japanese man in in James Bond. Like he's doing a really weirdly caricatured Japanese voice for someone who is Asian American. That's mm-hmm. an aside. It's something that I noticed, but no, again, you've uh, you've Im- you've improved Real Steel. Well, I'll try and watch it. If I ever watch it again, I will try and imagine that that backstory exists and see if it has some more, some more potency. Yeah, see if it, if it adds something to it. And I think that's, again, that same thing where we were saying with, with Ricky and with Anthony Mackie as well, is we're, we're not supposed to like Takmashido and the Russian lady because they're rich. Yeah, that's the class right? thing I said yeah, yeah, earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, you've completed a thought that I didn't realise that I'd not finished yeah. but that's it right they represent this corporate um and we see like when they're in the stadium they've got like sprint and virgin airways and this is where we xbox really... 720 720 i saw that yeah um we get this um view of what the corporate world is like and 
it's not what Max always dreamt of, of, you know, the, oh my god, uh, uh, noisy boy, you know, he was a real fighter. When we get there and the Russian lady offers to buy Atom, Max realises immediately she's trying to buy Atom because she realises that Atom might actually be a contender. Yeah. Right, this, this, uh, they, Tech Machido and the Russian lady see something in Atom that is a potential threat. So they try and buy them out so that they can maintain their dominance over the sport. Right. So in this is a really bizarre moral flip that the movie makes. Where at the beginning, it's like the rural robot fighting is bad because they fight animals and the people who do it are terrible right then we get to the warehouse stuff and it's like anthony mackie does it and everybody's there they're they're big fans and it's it's dangerous and it's dirty but there's there's nothing morally wrong with it feels wholesome still yes yeah yeah yeah. the underground the underground fighting but then you get to the clean corporate world and you realize the top of the clean corporate world is as corrupt as it was at the bottom where charlie was making these bets you know over fighting fighting cows so where is this sport pure and it seems like it's only pure in max and charlie's relationship and like anthony mackie seems like a good dude like that's that's basically yeah. it well that there's in the zoo a bit as well like kingpin like you say he, he's looks like a punk and yeah. he's dirty and he's got teeth missing and he's got that kind of southern hick accent. Yeah, but he doesn't try and fuck them over or anything. Yeah, but at the end of the yeah. day, he makes a bet and he loses and he pays them and they're on yeah, their way. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. there is honour among, yeah, among true. those kind of people. And yeah. the same thing with um, in the in Crash Palace. Like, Charlie doesn't do a runner because he's lost. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he just leaves with his, you know, not his head held high, but with some dignity Yeah, because he didn't leg it and, you know, he'll live to fight another day and yeah and the guy he lost the bet to finn who i've just remembered his name anthony mackie's character anthony mackie anthony mackie yeah he doesn't hold it against him he doesn't lord it over him either mm-hmm. like when when um charlie goes back to him later and asks for money finn says like charlie i like you and all but you're a bad bet brother yeah yeah and he is that's very yeah, true. I yeah, mean, that's yeah. undeniable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a, an interesting moment for Anthony Mackie as well for that character because he is seen as the kind of the favorable person in this world, but he doesn't. He's not stupid enough to go with Charlie just because he likes him. You know, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you need to do this yourself because if I do it, you know, you're not. It's almost like. Um, like a parent in in that way Anthony Mackie's like I'm here to support you and when you have something and you're ready to fight I'll give you a place to fight but I'm not going to do this for you because you won't appreciate it almost like if I give you the money you'll lose the money and you won't have learned a lesson yeah right and Anthony Mackie almost ticks on a, like a another third dimensional parental you know yeah it's not it's like not an uncle quite like a kind uncle yeah 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 and they could have yeah there's some stuff that they could have expanded on there um but I think that bit where where the Russian lady and, and Tech Machido offered to buy Atom is another missed opportunity where they could have, um, you know, why do they want to buy Atom? What is it they see in Atom? And that could have been, you know, that introduction where Tech Machido is like, uh, actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, I, that's, this is a yeah, problem I, because I designed the Generation Twos, and yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think uh, Charlie says earlier on that they were just designed to take loads of hits. They were designed yeah. to be in the gyms for training. And they could just be pounded on, but they weren't ever designed to fight back. 
So yeah. when Charlie and Max give Atom the ability to fight back, they combine this incredible yeah. defensive rating <laughs> with yeah. an actual attacking stat that can make it a contender. Yeah. yeah, so again, you would have improved, if you were in the writing room, you would have improved the, the story <laughs> there. But um, yeah, it's Max who, again, it shows wisdom and shows mm -hmm. um, he's very perceptive and he's immediately like, no, I mean, no, he, he walks out and he's like, he's not for sale. Yeah. And when Charlie's doing the thing that he did to Max at the zoo, when Max is trying to negotiate up more money and Charlie's saying no, here he's saying, dude, take the money. Yeah. And like you said, Max sees straight through it. And he's like, this is the reason they don't want him. Like, this isn't about the money. They're, this is about them taking us out of this world. They don't think we belong. Yeah. And they take, they're removing a threat. And again, this is Max father's Charlie number two, mm -hmm. where like, Charlie's begging him, even like bending down to talk to him at eye level and max is like look at me look at me look at me we can go around and around this thing all night long and it's just like really almost mm. condescending to charlie and then it's like look listen i've got a fight to get to and he just trots off and charlie's like oh yeah man but dad <laughs> yes yeah but yeah yeah he says, the other way around son, the other yeah. way around yeah and then yeah we get into the the fight itself where um Atom versus Twin Cities, this league league bot. I didn't make that many notes, but you know, it's it's a sports movie kind of cliche, yeah. and there's yeah. backward and four ups and downs. I did get chills. I'm a bit of a sucker for a sports movie, um, and so I did enjoy it. And we when we get to the point where, like we mentioned before, after Atom does win this fight, uh, we've spoken about when Charlie's pass catches up to him, and Ricky mm -hmm. shows up to. Uh, remind us all of charlie's past and in the way his true self because this, yeah. we've followed charlie for i don't know a matter of weeks and we've seen a bit of growth in him but we have to imagine that from the first minute of this movie if you went backwards i don't know 10 years this has been charlie's life just grifting and and trying to make money wherever he can fucking up a lot because mm -hmm. we don't pick up on charlie at a good point in his life um so the 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 balance of of um, how much we should care about Charlie. It's kind of what I meant. I maybe why I felt like I didn't really feel super sorry for Charlie, or I didn't feel like Ricky was a particularly bad guy because, it's like, well, surely, you know, Charlie's not lived the best life, mm -hmm. and you can't escape the consequences of your decisions forever. And yeah, it just felt like Charlie was kind of reminded of his life. This has been a nice little honeymoon period. It's a nice holiday away from misery and yeah. just getting on with life. Uh, but at the end of the day, life is about getting the shit kicked out of you. And therefore, you should just embrace it and throw away the one good thing you have in your life and phone Deborah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, yeah, that's the end of Act 2 and leads us into the real reason you want to talk about this movie, which is the bit that makes you emotional, which is the third act, the final fight and the, yeah. the post-final fight. There, there's a few moments and they all, they all occur in Act 3, I, I suppose as they should. Yeah, yeah, it has very much built up. So we know that um, that now they've done one league fight. Uh, at the end of that one, Max is like, oh, the rich Russian lady tried to buy my robot because she knows that my robot's the little robot that could. And I challenge her death bot to a fight anywhere, anytime. And she's yeah. like, I'm not going to fight your robot. And then they they agree to... they agree Cause to they, Yeah, because they just buckle to 
the, yeah. the crowd to, who are like to the money yeah. yes yeah yeah because there's a there's a, a chance to gain you know people want to see this little robot fight you know the underdog fight yeah and people are willing it. to people are willing to pay for it so yeah. they take the fight like why why wouldn't you um but it's also where we get that that split between charlie and max that that first moment where um you know they've they've bonded that they haven't referred to each other as father and son at this no. point but they you know they're as close to it as they can be without a kick you know a kick to like if if this oh, yeah, terrible I think, doesn't charlie when he's getting the shit kicked out of him and he says not in front of the kid yeah. and he says that's my son so that's the first time he's yeah, kind of right. referred to yes. him that way yeah yeah so then this yeah this is where charlie gives up on max and returns him to marvin and deborah and marvin goes to give him the money and charlie's like you're a piece of shit marvin i don't want your money and marvin's like this was what what are we i'm just fulfilling the deal that we made he's like marvin you're a piece of shit and you should go and seriously look at yourself in the mirror because you were trying to you know and it's, it's one of those one of those moments um and then we also get that um the realization that Charlie has made a mistake. So Charlie Charlie drops um drops Max off with the family, then drives all the way back to Evangeline Lily and just like climbs into her bed without her permission. Yeah. It's just that again you've talked about things that are maybe been missing and we kind of get us we we're kind of told that they used to be a thing, but yeah. as far as we're concerned they've not been a thing for a long time. Yeah. And yeah, he just crawls into bed and spoons her and you're mm. like, this is this okay? Yeah, she smiles and is like, oh, it's fine. But there, there could have been a bit where... What, what it should have been is he comes up the stairs exhausted. She kind of wakes up and she's like, where's Max? And Charlie just kind of like looks at the ground like defeated and she can see that he's broken and she's like, just, just come here. Yeah, And yeah. then, you know, it's not like a sexually charged moment. It's just no, their no, it's close just a... friends and... They, you know, they, they, yeah. yeah, yeah, they spend you know, the night sleeping next to each other because she's, you know, there. She's there to support him. She's always um, there for him, yeah. The ma- she, she gives him a kick in the ass when he needs it and mm-hmm. she tells him when he's fucked up, but then, but she's never, she never dismisses him. No. She never yeah. says, get out of my life, get out of my gym. They have a shared history, I think, with them. Her dad was his boxing trainer, yeah, right? Yeah, his so, trainer, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they probably had a lot of ties beyond the romantic. Yeah. Yeah, and then I think the the next scene is where there's a bit of a problem, which is where oh, do you go? Well, no, I was going to say because my you did I well, you did say that the my daddy issues moments are all going to occur in Act Three, and they do right yes. at the beginning. The first one is right at the beginning, when uh, right after uh, they get beaten up, um, and Charlie calls Deborah, um, and he's, Max is getting the stuff out of the truck, and not really speak, saying anything to Charlie, and Charlie's just mm-hmm. doing all the talking, and there's a moment where it seems like Charlie's almost blaming Max for why yeah. this is an upsetting moment. He goes, yeah, you, you forgot who I was. was gonna, yeah, you yeah, knew as if this you was going to happen. Gonna happen. Yeah. You know what, who I am. And Charlie's almost yeah. reminding himself, like, this is who I am. This is what happens yes. to me. And this is it. And then, but then he turns it around as if he's taking some responsibility for who he is. And he mm-hmm. says, you deserve better than me. And the, the dialogue, if you were reading that in the script, he'd be like, yeah, okay. But Hugh Jackman he can show in his face how hard Charlie fi- is finding this. Mm-hmm. And um, he just, he he looks like he's about to break, but he's holding on. And that, 
that that got me. I don't know if the microphone's picking up me tapping in my in my chest, but that that got me. And um, if anything, that is almost like a a pre daddy issues moment because it does get me a bit. But without it, I think the bigger ones later won't have don't have as much of an effect. But no, I was gonna say yeah, that's a really a really great moment and does build that emotional framework because Max is not willing to give up on the dream. Right, he sees his his father not only abandoning him, but abandoning everything that they've done together as well. This is worse than the first time because yeah. now he actually has that father that he's you know that he wants and that relationship with Atom that you know that he wants. Um, and yeah, that line, well, that com- one sided conversation is is really great because yeah, it's that yeah you you forgot who I was is an amazing moment because he's not saying that to Max, right? He's no. saying that to him. Like he's saying to himself, you know, you forgot, you almost tricked yourself into believing that you could be a dad and that you could yeah. be happy. Yeah, but exactly. then, you know, then as you were saying earlier, karma came back to remind you who you really are. Mm. And you you know, you can't, it's a, and it's an understandable moment from Charlie where he's like, I can't drag my son into this world where I'm getting beaten up for debt. You know, he want, he wants to give his son this... He, now he genuinely wants to give his son a better life with, you know, a family that can actually take care of him. Rather yeah, than, right. you know... Like, Marvin is isn't going to get... Money, the, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, Marvin isn't going to get the crap beaten out of him by a cowboy. You know, like, it's just... <laughs> you know, that's not the world that, that Max would be raised in. Yeah. Um... But yeah, when we jump forward um, to the day after the spooning with Evangeline Lily, and yeah. they he drives like t- t- six thousand. No, what did she say? Twelve hundred miles just for yeah, a something kiss like or whatever. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we we get their romantic um, their romantic reconnection there, and Evangeline mm. Lily. Th- this is the problem for me with that moment. Is Evangeline Lily cries for no real good reason that I can understand. I think I she remember cr- her crying. She cries because she is the female romantic interest in this emotional movie, and that moment bums me out. <laughs> and I, I, I can't remember exactly what they say in that scene, but I wish that there, there could have been a moment where they talk more about her dad, and I think that whole scene should have been about her dad. And how he was the father to both of them, really. We we understand that, that, that kind of connection. Um, and the whole scene should have been, my dad never gave up on you, right? Even when you stopped boxing, even when you turned to this robot bullshit, my dad, until the day he died, he never gave up on you. And I was jealous of you for that relationship because as dad pushed me... But he never gave up on, you know, on his relationship with you. And I never given up on you either. And the thing that hurts the most is to see you give up on yourself. Right. And for years, I've seen you give up on yourself. Now get your shit together. Get back to your son and make this, you know, fulfill. And Hugh Jackman's like, you're right, Evangeline Lily, you are always. Dude, you're you're making me cry. Like, (laughs) that is brilliant. And again, you've improved it and but i yeah i completely agree and evangeline lily's role in this film does it's um, hot pants and tears it's hot pants and tears yeah Yeah. i I feel sorry for her 
in the big finale as well where she's in the crowd for the big fight yeah. and I feel sorry for the actor Evangeline Lee because she has to do all these shots of her surrounded by people doing this like reaction acting yeah reactions going, to yeah, other people come on yeah. Charlie get him and then trying to get and like call, trying to get Atom to get up like we were talking about before get up get up and then yeah celebrating the big mm-hmm. you know the big victory well the you know it's the little victory yeah. um yeah, I, I felt that must be really hard to get yourself motivated to act that. Yeah, she should have been in the corner with the two of them. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and she, again, that scene been... on the roof, Yeah, she should have been the the, the rock, like you, yeah. how you described it. She shouldn't have been the love interest. She should have been the springboard that Charlie needed to get his shit together. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess he, and... she was, but not very passively. Yes. Yeah, she listens to him being upset. And yeah. then I think she says something like, you know what you have to do. And he's like, I do know what I have to do. And then he yeah. goes off to do it. Because I figured like, it out oh, myself because I'm the man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. like that, oh, 1,000, you know, 1,200 kilometers just for a kiss. And he's like, yeah. it was worth it. It should have been the other way around. That line of dialogue should have been, it should have been, he, uh, uh, he should have said, um, you know, I, I just drove $12,000, you know, for a kiss and some advice, you know. And... And oh yeah, she's out. And um, and and she go. She should have said, uh, "It's worth it." Yeah, right. Improvement. Like yeah, that should I'm have gonna, been her line. I'm going to draft yeah. an email to John Gatton, the screenwriter, and Sean Levy, the director, and go. Here's your ten-step plan for how you could have improved Real Steel by Dom and Dave. Well, we'll see if we can get the rights, and we'll do a graphic novel adaptation. We'll we'll, we'll add all a that retelling. Stuff. Yeah. 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 Oh, but yeah, okay, that, well, bring, that brings us to the final fight. Big finale, the big fight. Yeah. Zeus, another, maybe it's a gentle Rocky nod. Zeus in one form Apollo. of mythology and Apollo is yeah, an Apollo yeah. Creed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, again, just to, to, to hook onto that Apollo Creed moment. Yeah. Or like that, that kind of character. Because it is supposed to be, you know, that, that harking to a wider mythology. And yeah, the, yeah. Thing that, the thing that makes Apollo Creed such a brilliant character in the Rocky movies is that to begin with, in the first Rocky, Apollo has an actual character, right? Yeah. Like, he is, he is larger than life, and he only fights Rocky because um, of the eyes it will get. You know, we can sell this event of, you know, I gave the, the, the every guy, just a regular Joe, a chance for the championship. And Ro- uh, Apollo learns something from that. But Apollo is a perfect antagonist because he's not even an antagonist, right? He's giving the protagonist a chance, even though he's arrogant enough to believe that the chance doesn't mean anything, right? Yeah. Apollo's Apollo's lack of heart is the difference between him and Rocky, because Apollo is a far superior boxer in like every way. <laughs> like he's 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 a better fighter. He's got the charisma. He's Muhammad Ali, right? Yeah. That's you know. The, whereas Rocky is just a guy who's got heart and that's kind of what the Takmashido and the, the Russian lady are missing is Apollo Creed's character they need to have that for the movie to have to take another step up they need to be you know well they need to be Carl Weathers and that's kind of the problem that's hard yeah well maybe you yeah. just need you need Zeus to be to kind of pull pull you in and for us yeah. to assert to the audience to be like I know, you know, we want Atom to win, but Zeus is really fucking cool. Yeah, and yeah, yeah I won't mind yeah. if Atom doesn't win. But then there is nothing about Zeus, for at least from my perspective, that I thought this was a really cool robot. 
No, even the design isn't the that unique not in comparison cool. to the other robots that we see. Yeah. Like, we, we get that moment where earlier in the movie, Zeus walks past Max, and Max is mm. like, oh my fucking god, that's Zeus. Yeah. And that's kind of that awe-inspiring moment where we realise that Max wants to be Zeus. But I think the part of the problem with it is that Zeus is just supposed to be scary. right? It's just a, this matte black, terrifying design. But what it should be instead is that Apollo Creed style red, white and blue, like the people's champion kind of thing. So that when yeah. Atom does beat it, we realise again that actually being the people's champion isn't just waving the flag or a corporate sponsorship. It's, you know, having the heart to see your way through the fight. But Zeus doesn't mean anything. He's just a threat. Yeah, um, yeah, he's just like Tak Machido, we said before. He's just yeah, a two-dimensional, yeah, yeah. we're a pantomime villain. There's no question about mm-hmm. what he is or who he is. He's just there for the hero to fight. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that that final fight really is all about Charlie and, and Max, I think. Yeah. yeah. And this no. is where it builds up to your, your final daddy issues moments, I think. Yeah, no, it is. And I don't... I Initially... Even though, um, yeah, like like we had said at the beginning, hours ago, uh, <laughs> that this was one of the first things I ever wanted to talk about in terms of a daddy issues thing. Um, but I couldn't really, watching it the second time recent, well, maybe it's more than the second time, watching it recently um, for this, I still couldn't really put my finger on why it affects me. And it wasn't until I was like dra- drawing up my notes and and reading through what I'd written down that I, f- I put my finger on it and we'll get to it when we get to it okay but um yeah just to, just to go through a bit of how the fight the fight goes um there's the the third time the max fathers charlie where it's max who because obviously charlie is kind of piloting um atom and he has been throughout all these fights um max is kind of just there as a cheerleader and it's max who says to charlie not to atom to charlie is like you can do this you can do it mm-hmm. i believe in you yeah. <laughs> um uh and uh yeah, then we go through the sort of typical um, boxing movie kind of thing, especially in the, the Rocky kind of uh, uh, structure where the the person we're rooting for is the underdog and shouldn't really win. And most people in the whole movie has been framing it around like Atom shouldn't survive a round, shouldn't have survived minutes against this thing, but, but he does. And then that yeah. kind of gets the crowd up and gets the drama up and the tension up. Um, but obviously Atom is getting is getting the shit kicked out of him, and like we said before, it's some reason Atom is a kind of a bot, uh, you know, kind of a fighter that just can keep keep getting hits and keep getting back up. Um, but it's a robot; it's not a person. It doesn't need heart to continue mm-hmm. or to get up. It just needs all of its pieces to still be together and yes. mo- the motors to be functioning and stuff. And that's when something does go wrong, and the um, the voice command system that they had taken out of Noisy Boy and put into Atom. And Charlie had been operating Atom verbally this whole time. That's the thing that gets damaged, and he can no longer hear his commands. So we have to go back to where this all began in the shadow mode. Mm-hmm. And so instead of wearing a headset and speaking to Atom, Charlie has to stand on the edge of the ring and shadow box, and um, and so that Atom can copy him. So that 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 point we we sort of hinted at it before. Um, this is the literally Atom 
and Charlie become the same person. Yeah. And now yeah. it's it, Charlie is fighting Zeus, not Atom anymore. Yeah. Um, and that's the end. And looks like we had when Charlie was training. You get we actually get to see him swinging his punches and moving and mm-hmm. being dodging, a boxer weaving. again. Yeah. Dodging and weaving. And yeah, that's when we build up to. I mean that that part has a great moment that I would put in any movie where anybody fights anything, and I love it when it, it happens. Yeah. What what do you what do you think it is? Is it the flying punch? It's the rocket punch. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I fucking love a rocket punch. It's so great. I think Iron Man does it in one of the Iron Man movies, and mm. yeah, Charlie. And it's not, and the fact that they do it, um, like they haven't programmed in the rocket punch, so Charlie mm. can go rocket punch, and then Atom jumps up and does a bam. That's actually Charlie. Charlie does it on the side of the ring. I think mm. we see it in one shot, don't we? Where Charlie's doing it, and yeah. Atom's doing it, and then in he's one doing shot. it behind him. Yeah. And it's just yeah. Like, yeah, bam! It's something about a rocket punch. It's so impractical in a real yes. fight, but it looks so fucking cool. I so love it. So like. That's a really awesome moment for a few reasons. Firstly, it it looked great. Like it that's that's so cool. you, that's the end of your trailer, right? <laughs> yeah. Like in in that image right there. Secondly, it harks back to Evangeline Lilly talking about Hugh Jackman with with Max when uh, they're talking about the fight that that Hugh Jackman lost, and she says, um, you know, he he went twelve rounds with with the champion, and he was flying that night. Is the floating she two said. inches off the canvas or something yeah like something yeah, like yeah. that yeah yeah and he literally does the you know he jumps off the ground to do it and yeah. then lastly and this kind of goes back to the atom having a heart conversation throughout the entire movie when uh max is dancing with with atom and then during all of the fights we never see atom jump ever when Max is doing the shadow dancing and stuff, Max mm. is is jumping up and down, waving his hands and stuff. But Atom always remains with two feet on the ground. Yeah, yeah. And then at the beginning of the fight with Zeus, Zeus leaps into the arena, like clearing like tw- like ten feet or something in this like yeah. terrifying jump. Um, and it's kind of like, oh shit, Atom could never do that. Right, like that that's impossible for Atom. But when Hugh Jackman takes control in the shadow boxing moment and they become that same person, the connection between Atom and Hugh Jackman in that moment is such that Atom is able to exceed his capability and actually leap off the canvas to do something he's never done before. And it yeah. seems like in this moment, there's a great episode of Teen Titans. Right, this is gonna. This is a, a, a side part. There's a great episode of Teen Titans with Cyborg, right? And um, Robin is the leader of the Teen Titans, and Robin always says to the Teen Titans, "I need you to give 110 percent." But Cyborg is, is it's impossible for him to give 110 percent because he's a cyborg, right? His machine components can only give 100 percent. They cannot go above that. And Cyborg has this like existential crisis where um, he. He's always thinking, is this as good as I'm going to be able to go? Like, I'm never going to be able to improve myself because I'm just a machine. And then by the end of the episode, he's found his inner heart. He's, he's not just a machine. He's a cyborg. cyborg and so, yeah. <laughs> and so he, he, using his heart and his brain, he pushes you know, his cyborg parts to 100, like 200%. And he's like, oh my God, he's an even better cyborg than he knew he was. And that's exactly the same kind of story we get in this moment where... Atom does something greater than the sum of his machine parts because he's bond, he's 
fused with Hugh Jackman, and the two of them are together are able to, you know, do something yeah. better together than they were able ever to do alone. It's a cool. Yeah, moment. That, that is a cool moment. Yeah, because it, it feels like if there's some kind of a subtextual allegory here, it's um, what we're watching is a fight between man and machine. Mm-hmm. And Charlie tells a story about how way back at the scrapyard bit where um, the money just dried up in human boxing because people wanted more violence, more no no holds barred mm-hmm. violence. Um, and instead of throwing their money at watching two men hit each other, it's much easier just to throw machines at each other and you get more carnage, bits fly off and, yeah, and decapitations. No one gets hurt. Yeah. Decapitation, yeah. So and not and talk about Zeus being um attributed to god gods and mythology. You know, he's the god of robots and he's worshipped by people as if he's a god and Takmashido is kind of um the, the puppet master behind him. And so to have Atom go toe to toe with a god it's like man versus machine man versus god these are all kind of big messages i don't know if they're really going for that in what is a father-son movie um uh you know um, a father-son movie placed within the outer shell of a robot boxing movie you know i don't think they're really trying to tell much say much about um humans over reliance and worship of technology um, even though I think I read that this was meant to be set in 2020. Yeah, right. Because they, right. they, Sean, they Where's didn't want Where's my fucking it... fighting robots? Yeah, I know, right? Robot yeah. Wars looks poor in comparison to this. <laughs> yeah. um, I think Sean Levy wanted it to seem not so far in the future that we couldn't relate to how people were living. And mm. like, so people still have phones. They just look a bit more jazzy. And, you know, you could, the robots don't look like super futuristic sci-fi robots. They look like they were built by man, by men, you know, yeah. built by people. Um, but if we can get if we get to the, the, the my the second daddy issues moment for me is and uh, maybe you can help me break down why it's Charlie is doing the shadow boxing yeah and uh, he's doing really well Atom is getting tons of hits in on Zeus and he's you know ducking and weaving and Max stops watching the robots and starts watching Charlie yes. And we get sort of a POV shot of Max watching Charlie, and Charlie's just got—he's got a huge smile on his face, like he's—he's—he's he's, he's completely in the moment, and he's loving it. Like he's—he's he's found himself, he's found his joy, and Max is just looking up to look up at him, and he looks proud. Like we talked about Max treating Charlie like his son sometimes in in trying to offer him guidance and pointing out his mistakes, but he looks up at Charlie probably for the first time and sees his dad that's how it feels and his eyes start to fill and tears come down and bailey's watching this and bailey's watching charlie and she's seeing charlie find his joy again and she cries and i've written in my notes max cries bailey cries dave cries <laughs> like i'm i'm in that moment it's all in slow motion too so you yeah. kind of feel like it, it's the moment lasts forever and that kind of coupled with the sports movie drama which again i like i say i'm a sucker for i could you know watch a film about the the ragtag group of kids beat the rich kids in a game of peewee football and that would get my my emotions going so it's kind of it's got it all maelstroming around and um but then the fight is called time's up all the five rounds are over no clear winner the fact that atom has survived this long the fact that charlie 
has got Atom to this point is the crowd goes nuts. Attack Machido loses his shit, punches, smashes, like, smashes up his console. Like, no, this yeah. is impossible. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, again, that would have at that moment would have been improved by your backstory mm-hmm. about, and that could the, that could have been him seeing the error of his ways mm-hmm. and seeing that if he had stuck true to his passion and to his joy and been more like Max, then you know, yeah, he 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 could have sold himself. He sold himself out. And still lost in the end. Yeah. Even though, spoiler alert, <laughs> at this point in the podcast, um, Zeus is a judge too of one on points. Yeah. Tak Machu doesn't give a shit. As far as he's concerned, he's lost. That is it. His machine has been defeated or, you know, his machine didn't win. So his whole life is probably thrown in. There should maybe be an epilogue where Tak Machido gets depressed and uh, <laughs> we can follow what happens to him. Um, but uh, yeah, then, yeah. Everyone loves Atom. Everyone loves Max. Uh, he gets his little interview on the on the on the mat, like he did after they won against Twin Cities. And the commentator's like, "This is the part that kind of takes me out of it for a moment." The commentator says that they're already calling you the People's Champion, and Max is like, "People's Champion," and I think he says, "We're okay with that." Or that yeah, sounds, sounds pretty pretty cool. good to me. Sounds yeah, pretty good like, to me, yeah, and I'm like, yeah. "Oh, lame." But yeah. okay, the sports movies—they always have lame dialogue at the end um so i'm I'm taken out of it for a moment but then i'm pulled right back in where he runs to charlie shouting dad 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 yeah, first time i've heard him time. say it yeah and they have a huge hug and again hugh jackman's face as soon as he as soon as his face shows just emotion like he's but he can't hold on anymore he's so happy he's so emotional that sends me that was if the last Daddy Issues moment were, was, as you know, I'm welling up, this is the moment where there are tears running down my face. And uh, Charlie puts Max back down. He's like, listen, I really want you to know. No, I need you to know. Mm. And he can't get his words out and Max kind of just goes, it's fine, whatever. He says another corny line that I don't like, so I'm not going to say it out loud. Um, but it's at this moment where I kind of... I. I in, again, reading through my notes here, I've realised something that is key for me. What makes a daddy issues moment a daddy issues moment for Dave is when strong, um, emotionally stunted male figures yeah. um, can't express their emotions, but they're clearly bubbling over with something they need to say or how they're feeling. When I see that, it's I, I can't hold on anymore. And there's got to be something in that, hasn't there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that that moment you were saying earlier on where Hugh Jackman is doing the shadow boxing and um, everyone's, everyone's crying at that point. I think that's where the strength of having Evangeline Lilly's character really comes through. Because if it was just looking at Max and looking at Hugh Jackman we'd be like, oh yeah, that's emotional. But what we instead get is another person who is able to process what they are seeing in this moment. And it's this triangle of emotion that really gives it, the, that really gives that, that moment some strength. Because it's not just us who recognises what this moment means to everyone. Evangeline Lilly understands, as we do, the audience, what this moment means for Hugh Jackman 
because she is seeing in him this moment that he lost back in that you know fight against the champion where he went all 12 rounds and 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 lost but he's he fought and fought and he found himself you know he he found himself in that fight all those years ago and then lost the the great man that he had become thinking it was never going to happen again but he, she feels that love and appreciation for him and then in seeing max this actually made me think of our indiana jones episode where this is the first time that max gets to see in his father the uh, gets to see his father at his best right he gets to see who his father really is not the baggage that he is attached to his father not the you know the terrible things that you know that that he's done in his life or you know the 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 drunk you know the the gambler he gets to see his father in his purest form and that's a really unique kind of moment there and we it's not just us seeing it and going oh look max is crying that's nice it's we get to see how they're feeling and then we get to see somebody else recognizing that they're feeling those things because in that moment the only people who are looking outside of the ring are max who is finally looking at his father and seeing a man that he loves and that's a pure expression of love and then evangeline lily who is the only person in the entire arena who is watching them. Hmm. And Max is the only person watching his father, and Evangeline Lilly is the only person watching them. And in this carnage, in this, this fight, um, she recognises that new moment for both of them. And it's her recognition of them, I think, that... Um, kicks the audience in the gut a little bit because it's a moment that she sees and so we see it mm. and we get to see it twice we see it as the audience and we see it as her and that's yeah it's a really well directed well crafted moment that definitely tugs on the heartstrings cool. yeah that's a great observation yeah. yeah nice one so is is that the kind of thing that maybe bumps this from a six out of ten to a <laughs> six point five you know that's a good a handling of that that's, moment well. that's a six point five seven moment it's, yeah for sure I'm glad for to sure. hear it no I was gonna say I think the third act of this movie is pure Hollywood cheese at its best <laughs> right I say that as as a like like this is an accomplishment of Hollywood cheesy filmmaking in a way that I love right the parts of it that let it down for me are those earlier moments in the film where I find Max is just an unlikable character, at the beginning especially. And Charlie obviously is designed to be unlike. He's supposed to grow into a good person as it goes on. But neither of them are good characters in that film until they progress through that second act and really get to know one another but it's a film that requires you to be patient with it and you have to be patient enough to watch their relationship change into likable characters and that's kind of a, a unique movie thing as well because i was thinking if i was watching this in the cinema and it got 
to that moment where we see Atom for the first time, which is like 30 minutes into the movie, would I have lost patience in this film by now? Or would I, you know, still be raring to go with it? And I think it does take a long time for you to really enjoy the characters because Hugh Jackman is designed to be a dick and the movie sees itself through because he's Hugh Jackman, as we were saying. If it had been another actor, I don't think that we could have stuck with it in that same way. And the actor who plays Max, what's his name? Dakota Goyo. Dakota Goyo is doing the best thing that he can as a child actor. I think as the movie goes on, he does he does pretty well actually. There's some those emotional moments are are well acted. He like he he, he does a good job. Um, but th- at the beginning, he's just an unlikable kid. He's just a douchebag. And Do you think? I think. Do you not have any sympathy for him in his situation? Because before before we meet him, he's a kid who is. His mum's just died. His only yeah. parent, his mum, yeah. his mum, yeah. of all people. You know how mums are very volatile things in, in films. Yeah. His mum has just died. He's 11 years old. He's has to, He's going to go live with his aunt and he's kind of embroiled in some weird custody thing. Mm-hmm. I can. He's not so much of a dick that I can't forgive him being... Well, I don't know. I don't even... It never occurred to me that he was unlikable at the, at the beginning of the film. So I think what he's missing... Maybe you spend a lot more time around children than I do. Maybe you're like, well, yeah, yeah, he's a bad egg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that might be it. I think he's missing a little bit of the Kevin McAllister. Like, he's missing a bit... What makes Kevin McAllister so great is that... Um... Oh, I can't... What's the fucking actor's name? Macaulay Culkin. Macaulay Culkin, of course. Macaulay Culkin has a spark in his eyes. Right. What yeah. makes him different to any other movie with a child actor is that Macaulay Culkin was just uniquely a star when he was like 10 years old. Right. Like he yeah, yeah. was a star. And I think Dakota Goyo at that age, he's a fine child actor, but he doesn't have that. He's just missing a spark that makes him come across as a bit of a douche rather than a sympathetic character to me. He's got no charm, and you think? Then I think in what... Maybe we could have done with an extra scene with him in Evangeline Lily, where they actually really connect, where he's like, I just lost my mum, and now I'm trapped in this, and I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm stuck with these robots, because this is, you know, I love this, this is what I do for fun, but you know, this is my life now and I haven't had a chance to mourn, you know, and, you know, we we just need, I don't know, we just need, um, uh, uh, he, uh, by the end of the movie, he's a fully likable, sympathetic character and I'm on board with him, but it takes yeah. a while for me to go, yeah, all right, I actually like this character for me. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, I didn't see it that way, but that's why I'm, I'm glad we can uh, talk about it this way. So do you think, but when it got when it gets to the end, did you have an emotional response to how it all played out? Oh yeah, yeah. You can't. Okay. You have to be. You have to be a man of. Uh, you'd have to be a, a metal robot to to see that <laughs> moment and not and not get emotional. Um, okay, I'm glad because yeah, that that yeah. text where you said this has got Jonathan Kent written all over it. I was waiting for you to be like, and that's why this film does fuck all for me. 
<laughs> no, I think I, I do have a, definitely have an emotional connection to it. I just think that it's a film that has a whole bunch of small mistakes and areas that it doesn't explore. And um, if it wasn't Hugh Jackman, then it, it needs Hugh Jackman, really. He's I, I completely he's, agree. Yeah. yeah, he's pulling this movie through by the sheer fact that he's Hugh Jackman. And yeah. th- th- that's great. That's great. But you've got a whole MCU supporting cast in here. Um, <laughs> yeah. And like everyone in this movie is in a Marvel movie one way or another, I think. Even Dakota Pretty... Goyo. Yeah, he's young Thor. He's young Thor. And, Everybody yeah, like in I this say, movie is a Marvel movie. Yeah. You know? Hope yeah. Smith, who plays Deborah, was Tony Stark's mum. Yeah. Civil War. Evangeline yeah. Lilly, obviously, is the Wasp. Yeah. Anthony Mackie is the Falcon. Uh, yeah, Kevin Durand plays Ricky is fucking the blob from yeah thing yeah who else is in this movie is there any other character oh I Marvin. mean we've I we've listed Marvin the, the main characters I'll have a look James Redhorn I bet he's in something I bet he is I bet he is yeah I feel like but he's I, in a Macaulay Culkin movie actually you know oh yeah he's in Independence Day of course it's not a Marvel movie oh yeah movie, no he's the he's, guy he's, who gets he's fired a, in Independence yeah, Day yeah yeah he's a good actor the cast is is really solid but the film isn't quite as solid as it could be. And so it does rely on some great performances from, from those actors to see it through, I think. Yeah. Oh, and uh, what's his name? The guy plays Tak Machido, Carl Yoon. He was not been in any Marvel stuff, but he was in Arrow for 19 episodes. Oh. He played another Japanese person. Uh, Sarab? Sarab? Is that your DC knowledge? Is that ring any bells? I'm trying to think what, what episodes that could have been. Have you seen it all? I've seen a lot of it. Yeah, I've definitely seen. We're the going ones with way him, off piece. Yeah, I can't. Been yeah, I can't. Far too long. Yeah. So we should really wrap this up. <laughs> We've been going on for a while. Uh, so the way we always wrap these things up is we talk about how these observations and things we might have uh, felt during this thing, during uh, mm. this film, relate to ourselves. And uh, I know I I did pick this one. Um, I will let you go first, but it's, I just I'm reminded of another episode where. Um, I mentioned that I'd spoken, actually told my dad that we about our podcast. I know your dad's an avid listener. listener. So hi, yeah, Alex. Yeah, he he's well. the only person who's made it this far. Thanks, Dad. This far, no doubt, no doubt. Um, oh, we should I, we yeah, should we, leave mentioned... we should leave some secret Easter eggs for Dad <laughs> yes. to see if he actually does make it this far, and then I'll know. Because every time we do one, he sends an he sends a message to go. That was the best one yet. But I don't even <laughs> know if he's listening. So we should well, leave like a one. word, or we should leave a word like elephant and if he messages me elephant now i'll know that he's he's he made it listened. to the end yeah okay so well, i look forward yeah. to to you forwarding me that message as evidence um but anyway yeah like i said said i mean i mentioned this podcast to my dad probably two years ago and we were doing did the first few mm-hmm. um he mentioned how he feels that the only reason to get emotional at a father something in a movie is because you can make a direct parallel in that um, father-son relationship either as the father or as the son um and i feel like there's something i can draw on personally um with real steel but i wonder um what you have to say about that well unlike your dad um uh, my my dad's never fought robots um i know that's a big thing in your family is for dad <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So dad, it's a big tradition in our family. Yeah, every Saturday your dad would go out and and fight some uh, some titanium tyrants. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know with this one. 
I don't... This is one of the, the few ones we've done so far where I don't see much of... Um, much of a connection between the father and son and uh, and me and my dad. Maybe I see more of myself going back to the Shining episode where um, I could see myself more in um, in Jack Nicholson. I can see more of myself in Hugh Jackman than in the father and son relationship and not in the way that Hugh Jackman is really fit and handsome and successful and gets <laughs> to go out with Evangeline Lilly. But um, just that um what happens if you if you stop right if you you give up uh, you give up on your your dream and then end up having to live with the fact that there was one thing you always wanted to do and you gave up on it um i can see that as a, as a bit of a warning maybe um and then just generally being a bit of a scumbag i think i can connect connect to that part of hugh jackman but other than that i don't there's not much about the father son stuff in this that i really uh, really connected to in that way. Um, it did make me emotional, for sure, and I think it's it's a well crafted story. But there, what I don't know, maybe it's because my, I my neither of my dads have ever been that emotionally distant with me in that way. Um, yeah. So what is it for this one that really just that that does it that yeah. does it for you? It really shakes me. Yeah. Uh, I think it was. Um... As I said earlier, when we were talking about the the final the final fight, uh, whenever I in a film I see a emotionally stunted, traditionally masculine or kind of a strong male figure in a movie, um, usually by towards the end of the film become emotional or at least struggle to hold their emotions in. That's something that I that always sets me off. It doesn't even really have to be a father son thing. It can just be a man, a hero, um, or yeah, it doesn't have to be a hero. It could be a flawed character, but and I think the reason that that gets to me, going back to something what my dad said about this kind of thing, is that um, I wouldn't. Say, I didn't say my dad was emotionally distant, but there was never much um, emotion on display in when I was growing up, at least um, in the more volatile kind of things. Like the, my, my memories of my dad and growing up are of mostly mostly really like just great supportive it was a nice place to be I was you know I was I think I was raised well and then the only extremes I can really remember are the times where he was like really happy and laughing and whatever or where he was really angry <laughs> like yeah. and that didn't happen a lot but you know I'm sure having kids can <laughs> make you angry a lot of the time and um, so that I don't remember any like tender emotional stuff with my dad and I feel like they must happen like it it must have he must have gone through a lot of more emotional tender stuff but i get the sense that he repressed a lot of it um i know like i've mentioned a hundred times that he used to be a policeman and that wasn't really he was not made for that by any means and i think a lot of what he had to do and what he saw he found very difficult to deal with emotionally so he and being in the police he couldn't really let that show so he repressed it all and i think that's a habit that he got into that whenever a difficult emotion came up, he would just hold it in. He would just repress it. So the only times I can really remember him exploding with emotion is in anger. Mm-hmm. I don't remember seeing him get sad about anything um, or letting something upset him in that way. There's, I, I, when, when I was, I guess, I, how old was I? 18 or so, 
our family dog passed away a golden retriever called max and we miss him a lot r.i.p um but i was working full-time then but still living at home but i didn't spend an awful lot of time with my parents i would just come and go uh, but that particular day uh, max had gone to the vets because he'd been unwell and my dad texted me before i finished my shift and was like hey do you want me to come pick you up from work and that never happened like he, it just <laughs> so i quickly put two and two together that max had been to the vet my dad was gonna pick me up from work this is probably not going to be good news so we're in the car driving home and he breaks to me that they couldn't do anything for him and they had to put max down and oh oh god and, donkey um, issues <laughs> no actually i'm thinking about my dad and uh he he breaks this sad news to me whilst driving and not looking at me once like i'm not always looking at him but you know i look up every once in a while and he's always got his eyes on the road and he's just telling me factually what had happened and whatever and they you know had to put him out of his misery essentially and he's not getting emotional at that point but he's not really engaging beyond the facts and so i'm not really i'm i was kind of expecting it so i i'm not I'm not feeling particularly emotional either. I'm just like, oh, that's a bummer. Like, that's this is this is um this is sad. And it's not until I get home and we we walk in the door. We don't. I think we don't think we speak beyond my dad telling me what happened, and then it's probably silence until we get home. And then we both walk in, still not saying each other. And then I walk into the living room. My mum's on the sofa, and she's obviously been crying a lot. And then she looks at me and she bursts into tears. And then I burst into tears. And then. <laughs> we've got real tears on daddy issues finally yes fuck and uh yeah i felt like that moment could have happened in the car with my dad but it didn't because he didn't show me anything mm. because i saw emotion coming at me from my mum that was like a a okay you can you can let this out now and my mum could do that and i'm sure a lot of mums do do let their emotions show whereas dad's and my dad didn't and so in conclusion, that is why real steel makes me cry. This is a very emotional moment for all involved. <laughs> oh, this is good. This has been great. I've been I've been going to therapy recently and I haven't cried in therapy once, so this is this has been more effective, apparently. <laughs> well, next time you go to your therapist, you should say and have you seen Real Steel <laughs> with you, Jackman? Yeah. Well, I did mention to her that I do a podcast with my friend Dom and it's called Daddy Issues. And she went, that's interesting. <laughs> it's just a funny name. It's a funny name. Yeah. Oh, well, anyway, there we are, ladies and germs. Thank you for to anyone who may have made it this far. And, See, uh, now he's trying to wrap up to put those emotions <laughs> back in, Dave. Don't yeah, got, do it. Feel yeah. those feelings. It's like, you know, I've pulled all of the sli- the handkerchiefs out of my sleeve and now I'm trying to stuff them back in for the next show. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, Dom, is there anything more you wanted to to contribute before we say goodbye? No, I, I, I wouldn't want to take anything away from that, that special moment there. See, for, for me, now we've both had minor therapy sessions in our... I had that that moment in The Shining where I spoke about being a bad person, yeah. and you've had your moment to you know really get something out. This, these are the moments that the Daddy Issues is kind of. This is, is what it was all about. It's taken yeah. us ten episodes, and everyone's been worth it there. to get to this point. 
God, God knows what we're going to do next. We'll end up doing Home Alone or something and then just ball the entire way through. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Him home alone. <laughs> How <laughs> could they? Oh, no, I, yeah, no, I think that's, that's a good place, a good place to come to a, come to a close. Yeah, I think so too. Not only because of how long this has been going on for. Yeah. Um, but whatever it is we do next, um, I hope you tune in. Um, and uh, until then, shall we, shall we say goodbye, Don? Yes. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. See you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>